Welcome to Uneducated Guest. I'm Brett, hosting tonight with me as always is Bo. Say hello. Hey guys, it's still a little weird with my with my real name out here, but I like it. Good to see you. You'll get used to it. Good to see you again. And then we've got our new guy still over there on the uh, the third man couch. It's Drew. Say hello, Drew. That's right. Hello. Well, glad to be back again. We uh, we've maybe we found us a rhythm. This is we're actually recording on a schedule. Hopefully, this will be out two weeks from when the last one was out. That's what we're going for. We're going for the every two weeks kind of thing now. Uh, I think we can handle that. What the blood's think? flowing. Yeah, that's we're good. Right. I think we can handle an every. It feels this feels more sustainable than last time. It does absolutely. Last time was very random. You know, we start out you, weekly is just a tough thing if you're not doing this for a living. Which one day we will. Yeah, that's right. One day with your support. That's we're a nice segue high. into mm. what we want to make sure to let you guys know is that's that good. we've started a uh, Substack. We started a Substack where uh, you can subscribe and you can support the show if you'd like to. I know many people have been asking, how can we support you guys? How can we, first of all, just help you out because we're such great guys. They want to help us, you know, pay for the yeah. the many things that that cost to produce this content that we're we're doing. You know, we got equipment and they want to get Drew a leather couch. They want to get Drew a proper seat yes. on the podcast. Well, if you want to do that, you can subscribe to our Substack. It's seven dollars a month. You can subscribe or seventy dollars a year, and it comes with these three benefits. We will hopefully be expanding not only to where you can consume our content through your ears in the audio version, but also with your eyeballs through... All, all the senses. All yeah. the senses. That's what we're going for with the eyeballs through <laughs> blog posts. So you get access to some blog posts that we're going to write. Uh, maybe it'll be... We're going to let Bo do the gumping. So when, if he mm. wants to write about some conspiracy theories like around that. who the coaches are going to be I in like the nation that. and maybe like get some coaches hired places on accident. I like, thought you just meant... In general, conspiracy theories. Yeah, that too. Okay. You can absolutely blog about okay. that if you want to. Uh, but I just mean, if we do any gumping, we're going to kind of... Okay. There may be some gump content there. Uh, also, maybe some theological content there. I don't know if y'all know, but Drew's in seminary, so he knows anything that you need. To, he, he knows everything that you want to know. I'm trying to master the divine. That's right. So he I can already, answer all your questions. That's right. Uh, but anyway, so that's one perk. We got exclusive blog posts. Also, we'll have exclusive audio content. Uh, this pre-show banter, we uh, we basically have already recorded for like an hour and 20 minutes uh, tonight before we've even hit record on the main show. And that'll be just released to the public. I mean, we're probably not even going to edit it unless we just like accidentally dock some people or something like that, or maybe talk a little too personally. We may edit that stuff out. But other than that, it's just going to be a free-flowing conversation. Honestly, just in my opinion, it's some of our best content. Yeah, it may be. It may <laughs> that be was the fun. Best. Yeah. It's usually our best content. So you can subscribe and get that. And then also, I think probably the biggest perk of the group is uh, you subscribe and we'll put you in a signal chat with us. Mm. Get on signal. That's what you should be using for your messaging services anyway. Uh, and we'll get in a signal chat with all of our listeners. We can talk about the show. We can talk about just, you know, anything we want to talk about. But uh, that would definitely be your chance be a to lot of fun. have some influence on what we talk about week to week. Uh, kind of the direction of the show. And, you know, we just, we'd love to talk to the people out there. So there you go. That's the, that's it. You can go to unedguestpod.substack.com. It's important information. They won't let you, our, our name's too long, uneducated guest. Mm. First of all, that I think might've been taken or something, but uneducated, 
uh, guest podcast. We those too long and uneducated guest pod. I hate to do it this way, but it's okay because that is how we're on Twitter. So we're keeping it consistent. It's unedguestpod.substack.com. Also follow us on Twitter at unedguestpod. Recently uh, verified. Recently verified. Yeah. yeah, that was actually we didn't even have to pay eight dollars. No. By the way, no, so that the, was that was you pre, may think that it coincided. You may think it coincided with Elon. No. It did not. We were already verified. So just get your facts straight out there, everybody. Also, Signal, everybody should have Signal. Yes, absolutely. The CIA and the NSA can't read it. So yeah, it's a, it's fully encrypted Huge. messaging service, allegedly. We just have to take their word for it right now. I guess now, Elon I owns it now, too. Does he? I think it's uh, a, a property of Twitter. I didn't. I don't think so. Pretty sure. Signal? Mm-hmm. Really? Almost positive. Okay. You may be right about that. You were already right about this Kansas University stuff that I didn't know about. I'm on right? a roll University tonight. of Kansas, yeah. Uh, you were wrong about Indiana, though, so just let the record show. And Two if you want to hear more about Actually, that. Actually, let the record show that Drew brought Indiana up. I think you brought it up no, first. No, no, you brought it up. He brought it up first. <laughs> I really don't know, but if you want to, but I, I you actually can, think I did. You can fact check us but, on that if you want to hear more of that back. conversation. Yeah, you can true. subscribe to our Substack because we talked about yeah. that for about the last fifteen minutes. Look, we got families to feed. That's right. Sign up now. please. Uh, okay, so good to see you guys again. There's been, I got to tell you, folks, fellas, uh, it's getting fun to pay attention to the world again. In my opinion, you haven't been doing that. I'm saying, like, you know, we went through a. Went through a time where all of the events of the world, pretty much from like 2020 to 2022, I would not describe them as fun. Oh, no. They were almost all depressing. You know, you think like, they're fun now? Yeah, they're getting fun again now. Like 2015 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, yeah. Oh, 2015 yeah. to 2020, there was, there, just, there was just something fun all the time. Mm. Something fun all the time with when Trump was in office. I'm not even saying that you have to support him. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying you can't tell me it wasn't yeah. a wild ride. And the last couple of years, you know, COVID and everything kind of screwed everything up. And then you got just, you know, a lot of bad economic news ever since Biden's been in office. And, you know, things don't seem to be going so well. I'm not saying things are going well, but what I'm saying is that it is most certainly getting more interesting. And I think we have one man to thank. And that's Elon Musk. Mm. Huh. At least that the world has gotten more interesting again. Uh, that is true. Very interesting uh, thread that came out last night. Yeah, we can start with that if you want yeah, to. Yeah, you, you keep up with this at all, Drew? Tell me about it. You just saw Drew's eyes get wide as soon as you said, interesting thread, let's talk about it. Drew's like, we didn't say we were going to talk about this, and I don't know what you guys are talking about. Look, I know I what y'all have this written I know, I know, I probably know more about it than y'all do, <laughs> but so I wanted to know, I oh, want to okay. hear you that talk about what we think. And then, and then I'll correct okay, you. Okay, that oh, makes okay. sense. That, that'll work. That That's that's uh, that's what a seminarian does that's right, right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So... What what Bo's referencing is that Elon Musk, I guess it was Friday, he gave to a journalist, uh, not a mainstream journalist, guy with a Substack, and he's got like a million Twitter followers, so he's a big deal. Yeah. I had never heard of him. I hadn't either. In all transparency, yesterday. but yeah. I noticed he had like a million Twitter followers. Anyway, he released the Twitter files. He he disclosed the Twitter files on internal documents of how Twitter handled the Hunter Biden laptop story during oh, the 2020 wow. election. And it was labeled part one. Yes, part one. More to come. So why don't you give us a little rundown? Mm. It was a pretty lengthy thread, maybe 36, 38 tweets, yep. uh, basically disclosed all the in, inside conversations that happened inside Twitter on why they should be suppressing it, even once it came out that uh, maybe this actually might kind of be illegal and might be against some of the, you know, Constitution, still suppressed it. They even had emails and communication with Democratic leaders who were telling them to suppress it. And all of this was leaked. 
Hmm. What do you think about that? I mean, you already know about it, but you can tell us. What yeah, you I mean, you can, first we, of all, we assume correct. that was going to happen. I mean, we assume that's what was happening, but now to actually have it aired out in the open, actually seeing the emails between people. Seems like a big deal. That's fascinating. It and absolutely is a big deal. Basically, the way that it, it appears to be the case that this was all done without Jack Dorsey's knowledge, yes. the CEO of Twitter. Yeah. Um, it was basically, I don't know if y'all remember, you probably do, Bo, because I think we were talking about this even on the podcast back in the day, of whenever Jack Dorsey went on Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. And with him was like the head of the legal team, basically running interference constantly. Mm-hmm. Every every actual good question Joe Rogan would ask yeah. about interference and being nonpartisan and the fact that conservative accounts were getting suppressed much more than, you know, every time he would get into that, she would basically, you know, give the legalese mm-hmm. answer that was not satisfactory. It kind of ruined the whole interview. And you could kind of tell Jack, it seemed as though, and I'm not trying to be, you know, too nice to him because I don't know how to feel about somebody like him, but... You it did you did get the vibe in that interview that he was he wished he could say more like yeah. he, he was trying to be actually open and he was being handcuffed obviously by running mm. a you know multi billion dollar mm. corporation you just can't you know he had there's way too much on the line and and the suits were making sure that it you know didn't that nothing was said that didn't need to get said anyway she was really the one that was spearheading this campaign. Uh, she's, of course, since been fired from Twitter. Whenever Elon Musk took over, she was one of the big, big, big names to be let go. Um, and she's working for like a she's working for something in Big Pharma now, I noticed on Twitter. Oh, nice. Yeah, which is not shocking at all. So uh, but anyway, so she was the one that basically was doing this without Jack Dorsey even knowing about it. And I want to say we even called Jack Dorsey not being a bad guy on a, on the podcast when we were doing this two or three years ago. At least in our conversations, yeah. but I don't know if we. I think we may. Have said I think we may that. have. Like he he had just enough credibility in in the crypto world and as a Bitcoin maxi and as a free flowing information guy. Like he wanted. He was a big First Amendment guy before Elon kind of came along and took the hmm. reins. Like I said, I'm still I'm still not convinced of that. Like. Uh, even with Elon, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, he's, I don't know that yeah. he's our guy, but like, right. it's hard for me to argue with anything yeah. that he's done so far Yeah, since he's been, since he bought Twitter. So yeah, this is not surprising. The surprising part is that it has come out in public. Okay. Because those are the things we don't get to see. We, we may know the truth. They're just called conspiracies. Mm. And then when it actually comes out and we're, and we're proven right, we, we're vindicated. And, and one thing to note on this was that... Um, uh, the guy that wrote the thread, you know, he did say that it it is clear that both parties attempted to get Twitter to suppress information yeah. that would hurt them. He's saying, and and they did do that from time to time for both parties. But he's saying it is clear that the balance greatly outweighed on to the side of suppressing right wing information or things that would hurt the left wing. That stuff would get suppressed. And his point was, and I think this just makes sense, right? Like, it makes total sense. His point was that this is, you need to think about this less as the government doing this, like directly, like as an order from Biden or an order from Trump. That's really not what's going on here. What it is is that there are people within these administrations that have specific relationships with people at Twitter that can do things. And, and this is yeah. how crony capitalism works. And this is why, you know, this is why I think this is an important point. And it's just he's saying that the people at Twitter obviously overwhelmingly are left wing. And so those personal relationships were able to get exploited on the left wing side yeah. and, a, you know, far greater, you know, times than on the right wing side. And and really, that's the point, right, is that that's how crony capitalism works, is that you get buddies 
and you offer, you know, you promise favors and you offer things to people if they do this and that for you. And so that's how our government can sort of feign that they are not interfering with quote unquote private enterprise, yeah. right? Oh, it's just the free, free Twitter is a, you know, Twitter's a private company. They can do whatever they want with speech, right? It's just that I'm a very powerful person who's promising them powerful. You know, I'm just promising them uh, power and things that mm-hmm. they just do exactly what I said that influences yeah. the government, mm-hmm. right? Like that's how it works. And that is what we have. You know, it's not so much that we have some sort of people want to call it, you know, oh, fascism or we're uh, going to be a communist nation. No, no, no. We have the, the system we have right now is exactly what the government wants to have. They don't want fascism, despite what you want to hear. They don't want communism, despite what you want to hear. Those people who are pretending to want to be communists like AOC and stuff, she doesn't want to be a communist at all. But that's that's the part she needs to play. What they have is what they want. They want crony capitalism. They want it to be just like they want the entire economic system to be set up like the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve purports itself as what? A private entity, right? It's private. This is not run by the government. And that is like such a joke. It's such a farce. Everybody knows that it is clearly a it is like the embodiment of crony capitalism because it is a bank that's supposedly private that controls the currency, the public currency of the nation. What a joke. Yeah. And that's the system that they want. And that's honestly what what the Constitution and what, you know, liberal democracy gets you is what we have now. Yeah. Sorry, we didn't have to go down that whole road. I apologize. Mm. It's inevitable. <laughs> all good. So what do you think about all that, Drew? Oh, well, I mean, you already knew about all that. I knew I know, about but... it. I knew about it. Y'all doing good. <laughs> Yeah, no, so that's good thoughts. That's, that's good an thoughts. example, though, of what of how interesting the world is now. Yeah. Like, that's what I mean, is things it's like true. that are happening. You know, Kanye West is back. <laughs> Very back. I mean, what what more can y'all we watch say? that? Y'all watch that video? I that tried, interview? man. I tried. Which one? Well, I'm talking about the interview with Alex Jones, first of all. I actually have not seen it. Okay. No, I've I seen just watched, a few clips. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's what I, was gonna, I, I got about seven minutes in. I couldn't do it. You tried to watch the whole thing? Yeah, the, just the whole... Uh, the get up was too much for me. I couldn't do it. <laughs> what do you mean? Just the the get mask. Yeah, oh, I just, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Also, so what, what was what was that about? What was his reason for that? He's been wearing that in all of his latest concerts, you know, and all yeah. of the stuff that he's done, like releasing Donda Two and stuff. Of course, that hadn't come out yet or whatever, like that. You know, he was wearing that same suit the yeah. whole time. So I don't know, but okay. you know, Kanye gets on these kicks. He's done yeah. this yeah. his whole career, you know. Well, the, the one mega hat, the one yeah. thing that was a little bit it was the first time I, I kind of felt like. I don't know. It was uh, he was talking about Netanyahu. Yeah, <laughs> and he brought out a little uh, like a, the net, a kind of net you would get yes. for your kid at the beach. Yes, and a yuhu, and he starts talking in this high pitched voice, and that's the first time when I was like, that, "That's a little bit yuhu catching strays." You know, they didn't deserve that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yuhu's like, "Don't bring us into yeah. this." What? Come on, man. <laughs> We're just a classic childhood drink. <laughs> We're just a classic chocolate drink. Yeah. It's not even chocolate milk. What is Yoohoo, right? I don't know. No. It's just a chocolate drink. Chocolate drink. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what fits it. That's probably yeah. exactly what's on the chocolate, bottle. Chocolate, water, and chemicals. They yeah. don't even. I don't. They don't even claim to be chocolate milk. It's no, just, no, they it's don't. Just, it's just chocolate. Something. It's just. It's really just Yoohoo. Yeah. But you know, now they're suddenly up there with Kanye yeah. in a black mask all the way. You know. <laughs> they. Yeah, you're right. They didn't ask for that on the Alex but Jones show. Are. You was yeah. like, what the heck? Hey, no publicity is bad publicity. Look, here's the deal with Kanye. Then we can talk about. We can talk about the Tim Pool stuff, or we can talk about anything we want to. I'm fine with this, but. Let me just say this, I guess, a slightly not in defense of Kanye, for sure. It's not in defense of Kanye, but it is in defense of somebody like Kanye. 
this is, I guess, my point that I wish people would understand. People love Kanye whenever they agree with him. They hate Kanye whenever he does something crazy and they don't. But look, here's the deal. This, you have to take artists that are great as they are. Kanye is the greatest artist alive, and you have to take him as he is. Yeah. Because you don't get the greatest art alive without also think something that you're going to find reprehensible yeah. or that you're going to find strange or that you're going to find like scary because it's coming out of the same brain. It's coming out of the same, like, yeah, unstable mind because all of us stable folks aren't putting out anything great yeah. yeah, artistically. Like that's what you get with art. It's going to push you. It's going to make you think it's going to push your boundaries. And sometimes you're going to, you're not even going to think it's going to go so far that you don't even, you're not even going to go there. You know, but if you're not able to actually go that far, you're never going to get like if he's going all the way to 100, let's say we're all the normies over here. We're all on one. And really all the the art that he can push us to is really 10, you know, and past 10, we're just not even going to go there. Well, he's got to go to 100 to even get back to 10. Yeah. Or nobody who's a normie is ever going to get to 10. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if that's a good way to put it, but that you get my point. Like you just kind of like this is just the way that it is whenever like you don't have to like it. I'm just saying like yeah. nobody wants to you're not going to get the good Michael Jackson without the weird Michael Jackson. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the child stuff. I'm not talking about anything illegal or anything like that. I'm talking about like the wanting to turn into a white person yeah. thing. Like I like way before the any of the child <laughs> stuff. I'm not, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not talking about sure. that. I'm just talking about like like what's he doing? Like wanting to what's it yeah. what's all the surgery and the skin pigmentation? It's like look, I don't know, but like sorry, that's just the yeah. way it is with the greats. And, and Kanye just happens to unfortunately live in a time, fortunately for us, but unfortunately for him, where there's a camera rolling 24-7. You put a mic and a, and a uh, camera in front of, you know, the Van Goghs and the Rembrandts, like, they're going to, they would yeah. they have said some weird stuff, man. And Kanye's always been like this. People yeah. are, people, people just haven't been following him enough. Like, yeah. do, do y'all not remember whenever, I know you'd will, because Drew was probably like six when this happened. And that's actually might not even be an exaggeration. No, <laughs> when yeah. did Katrina happen? Uh, like, oh, five. Okay. So you were a little older yeah. than that. You were like yeah. nine. But whenever Maybe. Katrina happened, uh, he was on, who's the, uh, who was Austin Powers? Mike Myers. Yeah. He was on this this uh, like call in donation call in donation thing. show with Mike Myers and it's like all these celebrities you know supporting Katrina and Kanye just goes completely off script yeah uh, he's like he's only been famous for like two years and he goes completely off strip off script about how George Bush hates black people yeah. and you know goes on this whole thing I'll play the clip okay yeah, yeah. play that now all right. And subtle, but in even many ways more profoundly devastating, is the lasting damage to the survivors' will to rebuild and remain in the area. The destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Okay, so like, again, this is 2005. <laughs> this, is, this is way before Kanye's had time to quote-unquote be bipolar or whatever, you know, like... It's just what he is. Like this is how his brain works. The, the Mike Myers looks so just he, his soul escaped his. You know how you get when when Brett has an argument with somebody, right? That's oh. Mike Myers in this in this instance. Somebody, just, yeah. he does not want to be here. His somebody. soul has left his body. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Specifically, somebody. somebody. You don't mean generally somebody. Specifically with somebody. That's how. Gets, that's how I take what you say. Yeah. I was being more general. I didn't take it that way, but now I get it. I took it, yeah. But correct, correct. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's what it was for him. Yes, Yes. absolutely. But 
so you get what you get what I'm saying yeah. with this thing. It's like I'm not saying that's what and I, also, I want to. He's proven correct. Yeah. Exactly. And I want to I want to focus on the part. What I mean by this is I'm having fun. I'm not saying I support Kanye saying George Bush hates black people or any of the other things that Kanye has said. That's not what I'm saying. Because none of these people matter to me. Yeah. Like people get their self worth wrapped up in like whether or not they can virtue signal that they hated Hitler. It's like oh, once Kanye comes out with something, every big Eva person, Russell Moore, and all these guys. Oh yeah, have I was going to bring great up the Russell tweets. Moore tweet. Yeah, great tweets about hey. For the record, everyone, for the record, I don't uh, like Hitler. Yeah. Oh, so brave. Kanye is demonic. So he brave. said that, and it's just like okay, man. Nobody, you know, Russell Moore. Nobody's sitting here agreeing with everything that he said in that interview. Nobody. You're not, you know, no. how are you brave when everybody agrees with what you're saying? Right. Russell like, Moore, by the way, has still yet to make a comment, yet to tweet or write an art- article or make a comment about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Hmm. Not Has one, he really? Not nothing? one. Nothing. Nothing. Go look for it. Nothing. He said oh, nothing about man. the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That'll tell you all you need to know. Exactly. But he, but literally took him took him. 30 minutes of the end of the Alex Jones interview to get oh, yeah. that. It's, you he know, was the, going to get on The Kanye. chain email went around to all yeah. the big Eva folks, you know, yeah, that's uh, right. to like, hey, send out a tweet that you denounce, that you denounce, uh, you know, Zion, uh, what is, which I don't know which one's the positive or the negative, but you, uh, you know, you denounce being anti-Semitic, I guess yeah. I should say. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's what, that's what they did. And I've always found it interesting too that, Everybody can have these opinions on things that they never even watched or listened to. Yes. Right? Like I didn't watch the Alex Jones interview. I barely have an opinion because I made it seven minutes in. Exactly. I mean, it's impossible. Exactly. But these people do it all the time. And especially considering they all wanted this guy banned, Alex Jones, from Twitter and YouTube. Well, how are y'all even watching him then? Yes. The the point is, is that I don't care if Kanye West. That's a good point. How does does whether or not Kanye West is pro or anti-Hitler affect my life why should i care about his opinion either way if he has a reprehensible opinion or if he has a great opinion why do i care and it's it's not just because i'm not jewish or whatever or you know had to suffer through you know uh, world war ii i don't care if he had i would not care if kanye west had an opinion specifically about me that was just i mean i guess i would because then kanye would know who i was i'd be like sick let's go get dinner <laughs> but like other than that part of it you know it's like yeah. i just don't get affected by somebody that i don't know who has opinions right so that's what i'm talking about about this whole the, you have to take the artist as they are is that that's what he is he's entertainment to me like, i mean kanye i know he's a person but like we all have to admit he's an object yeah he, we don't know him we will never meet him yeah. at all and we're sitting around talking about him all he is is a figure Right, and so he's inter- he's entertainment, and it's it's either fun entertainment or it's not fun. And right now he's fun entertainment, and he always has been, he always has been. And and if you think that everything that he's, if anybody thinks if all they're gonna do is say he's bipolar, he's crazy, he's having an episode, they have not ever paid attention to Kanye. Yeah, Kanye knows what he's doing. He always knows what he's doing, and it is always a part of his plan. I'm not saying like it's always like meticulously detailed. I'm just saying he's not an idiot. Yeah. He's he was he came from nothing to be what he is. You you cannot do that without being one of the most talented people on the planet and he he's not lost that. You know, people are like, "Oh, they got he's got Nick Fuentes now grifting off of him and Milo grifting off of him." You don't think anybody's ever tried to grift off Kanye? You think, oh, naive Kanye? He got—he's yeah. just getting caught up in the these anti-Semites. You know, he's just getting—he's like, no, 
he knows what he's doing. And I don't know what it is. You know, I don't know what it is. I'm just saying that, like, he didn't walk up on stage accidentally and take the mic away from Taylor Swift. Yeah. That wasn't an accident. He didn't walk off Tim Pool's show accidentally. He just didn't. He's never done anything. So anyway, just don't believe that for a second if that's what, you know, people think. They haven't been paying attention to Kanye's career if they think that's what's, that's what's going on. Well, I mean, I don't have to second guess that Russell Moore has no clue. Yeah. There's no way he's kept well, up so, with what's so Even just the other people. Yeah, what's so fascinating about that tweet from Russell Moore is he's acting as if that people are going to think that he is pro-Nazi if he doesn't put that tweet out. Right, like, right. The the intensity and the, you know... It's literally quickness. a virtue signal. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. It's, it's, like, it's as much of one as Just you so can. everyone knows, I find that bad. Yes. It's like, mm. okay, man, shut so, your mouth. So good. We all, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, where, where were what the, an amazing Where were the tweets when Obama was drone-striking Iranian children? That You won't find those. You won't either. find those. Again, even as simple as something as... Every Christian should be in favor of Roe v. Wade being overturned. Yeah. This is not hard. This is not gay marriage. This is nothing. Like we're going to talk about the RFM, the 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 uh, Respect for Marriage Act, in the main segment of the show. Like this is not any kind of. This is not a nuanced issue. No. This is the murder of children, and he hasn't said a word. It has been overturned. It has been dealt. Yes. You know. You know. There's a lot of small issues to do, but how do you not celebrate it? Yes. Yeah. And he hasn't said a word. You know, well, that tells us everything we need to know about you, which That's is right. which we knew that. I mean, we, we knew, knew that it about already. Yeah, we knew it already. We knew that. But like, oh, one more thing on Kanye. I was going to say this: like, Kanye literally on the cover of one of his albums says, "I hate being bipolar. It's awesome." He's the most self-aware person, especially artist, yeah, on the planet. So he knows what he's doing. He's not that kind. Of, like, and I say that to say that, like. Even as a fan of his, I can't excuse anything that he ends up saying that's reprehensible. You can't make excuses for it and say, well, he just screwed up. That doesn't happen with him. If he's saying it, he means it. Now, I don't know what his point is all the time. He might have a different point about whatever he's going to. I mean, I have some theories about what I think he's actually doing with this whole, because, you know, he said, of course, people got kind of clipped out that I love Hitler. He said, like, I love Hitler. I love Zionists. I love this. He was talking about. Basically, he's saying I love everybody. That's yeah. kind of he's. I think he's going down this whole different road, which we can maybe have that talk on, like exclusive pre-show banter or whatever. I think who knows what he's up to, but the point is, is I'm saying that you know you can't even I can't even use that as an excuse for his behavior because and say well he's just crazy. You know you got to let him off. No, he knows what he's doing. He's doing it on purpose. Now I don't know why he's doing it, and I'm not saying that, but it's not going to be an accident. He doesn't do it. He's he's just he's too self-aware for that. Mm. He's too self-aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a thought. I can't. Let's I was about that. to say it. I know it was oh, a good man. one too. So uh, while man. you're thinking of it, so okay. Kanye was on Tim Pool, um, you know, like two nights before he was on Alex Jones, and that kind of started this whole thing because that was his first appearance. He's now taken on, uh, joined company with Nick Fuentes, who I don't really know anything about Nick Fuentes. Yeah, uh, I hardly do either. But uh, you know. I can't stand him. I know that much. Every time I hear him talk, I just hate him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There don't are really people like him. that. He's yeah. some kind of like right wing, like you know, Groyper guy or something like that. I don't really know what all he's into, but you know, he's supposedly he and he might he very well maybe. I'm not saying like supposedly like I'm trying to be flippant. I'm just saying it because I actually don't know anything about him. He he might be he's supposedly like a actual white supremacist, you know, kind of like anti semite kind of guy. Um, but who knows? With all these like right wing trolls, you don't ever know what they're up to. But anyway, so I don't know anything about him. I don't care. I just hate listening to his voice. Yeah. 
uh, whenever he talks with Kanye. He's very smarmy, and I just I don't like yeah. his type. He's got a weird energy that I can just tell I don't trust. Uh, and then the other person he's teamed up with is Milo Yiannopoulos, who famous for you know 2015, sort of in the Trump rise. He was a gay, uh, you know, conservative British guy that's flaming. Gay. Gay. Oh yeah, flaming gay. Oh yeah. And then, I remember all that happening, and it's fascinating that his name is even back. He's renounced it all. Too. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing to me. Yeah, I mean his name he's 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 his ban- he was one of the first guys to really get banned in this whole like yeah. wave of like he was banned before Alex Jones. You yeah. know, off Twitter and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. You know, he he got he got big time banned because he talked about basically his experience being groomed into being mm. gay. Mm-hmm. Um and it got you know, he was of course celebrating it, but it got it was he had a lot of very colorful ways of describing it, and he got banned for all that. Um, but now, you know, and again, these guys like Milo and all these guys, you can't necessarily trust anything. Everything with them may turn out to all have been a grift. You know, who knows? I, but Milo's not an idiot. I mean, he's a freaking genius. So whatever he's doing, again, it's on purpose, and it's hard for me. I have a hard time trusting anything that he says. You know what I mean? But. Yeah. Where he is now in his story arc is that he's like a converted Catholic now, Christian. He's come, he's turned away from being gay um, and all that kind of stuff. He's no longer gay and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But he's now a, an advisor for Kanye's presidential campaign. Now, I think that he hates Trump now, Milo. That's sort of my, if I were to guess what Milo is up to, it's that he he really wants revenge on the people that cast him out. Like, I think he feels like he sort of made Trump and then Trump cast him out, helped him get canceled, wouldn't let anybody that had... Basically, he told the story on Tim Pool a few weeks before Kanye was on. He was on Tim Pool, and he talked about how basically White House staffers, when the interns would come in during Trump's... You know, they get new interns every year. That's always a big turnover. And the staff would basically ask them, and if they answered positively that they had consumed anything from Alex Jones or Milo Yiannopoulos, they were kicked out immediately. They would not take them. And that's what Milo said. You know, whether that's true or not doesn't matter because that's what Milo thinks. And I think he wants revenge. And I think, you know, Kanye, he's trying to get involved in a way to, like, spoil Trump's campaign, basically, is what I think. Um, Which is fine by me because, again, I'm here. I'm I'm here for the chaos. Yeah. (laughs) Of the whole thing. At this point, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. You got to have fun with it. So that's where we are. In the world, it's been a wild. We can week. talk about whatever you guys want to talk yeah. about, but that's that's kind of it's been a pretty wild couple of weeks because yeah. Kanye went on Tim Pool and he stormed out after twenty minutes, uh, which you know then that became a whole thing, uh, and then it was like two days, and then that ended up not even being the biggest news about Kanye within the week. Two days later, he goes on Alex Jones and the, all this stuff that blew up, you know, happened, and so it's it, really wild. Yeah, it's really oh, wild. I, I remember what my thought was. Okay. So you talk about him being calculated. Uh, he post he posted that uh, Star of David with a Nazi symbol. Yes. On Twitter, that's what got him banned. Then he got banned. Yeah. Do you know he got banned? Um, Kanye got yes. kicked off Twitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of so, course he did. Gotcha. So he got he got kicked off for that. Turns out that was not what people thought it was. It was actually a pre-made symbol for some weird like alien believing religion. And I, I think that there's a possibility that he tweeted out just to prove that Elon was not as free speech as Elon pretends like he is. Well, you know, he said on the Alex Jones show, he's like, we're going to test out how free speech Elon is. He mm. said that. 
of course, and what he said at the time was he was going to give his Twitter account over to Alex Jones because, you know, Elon, he hasn't addressed it any more than this, but like somebody tweeted at Elon one time, will you let Alex Jones on next? And he yeah. just replied to the person and said no. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, he's just not ever, he's got some, allegedly he's got some sort of personal vendetta against Alex Jones. Like he just doesn't like him personally. It's what people are saying. He but, blamed it on the uh, uh, hmm. Connecticut shooting. Yeah. He's basically, you, you know, I've had a child die. You shouldn't exploit dying okay. children. Okay. I think there that's what he said. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. That That's what it is then. Um, so may, you know, you, you could be right about that is what I'm saying is that he definitely seems to be um, skeptical of Elon Musk's commitment to free speech. And and certainly not in the way that Kanye is. You know, like Kanye is a different... Yeah. Like he's taking things to the... He takes things to the extremes. And this is what, you know, artists do. They take things to the extremes in order to test the limits. And then they bring it... Like the stuff that doesn't make the album is them pushing the extremes. And then they'll bring it back to the things that make the album. And that's still further than any of us would have gone. Yeah. That's why we didn't make the album. But we don't even know what kind of crazy stuff they didn't put on the album. Stuff that like isn't really even good music because it's just like so weird yeah. out there right and that's what he does with thoughts and so like with his stuff he's basically saying well christians say that jesus loves everybody right and that is what most christians say it's not what we would say right but it is what most most big eva christians that we know would say right in broad evangelicalism is that everybody's redeemable a pedophile is redeemable right everybody is and so that's what kanye is saying so is hitler that's his point yeah which obviously we don't agree. Yeah. We have different views. We actually think God can hate people. Um, right. But that's not what most evangelicals yeah. believe. And that's, and of course that's probably not what Kanye believes. Cause I don't believe Kanye is reading much Calvin. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what he's doing. He's taking that idea of Jesus loves everybody and we should love everybody. Love your enemies. Cause that's what he was saying. Love your enemies. So I love the Zionists. I love Hitler. That's what he kept saying. I love yeah. my enemies. I love. That's what he was doing. So he's saying we should be loving everybody. We should be anybody can speak. Anybody can speak. Free speech. You can say anything. And so that's what he's doing. He's trying to say anything. He's on Alex Jones's show, making Alex Jones uncomfortable. That's how far he's pushing it, right? And that's what he's doing now. You know, maybe maybe it's not the case that you can literally say anything. I'm not I'm not really here to debate what what whether what Kanye West is doing is right or wrong. I'm just tell, I'm just explaining what I think he's doing. Yeah. You know, he is, he is just taking that idea of free speech yeah. to the extreme and saying, is there really free speech? Then there's clearly not right. I mean, we would clearly say there's not free speech in society. No, there's a hundred percent things that you can't say. There's always blasphemy laws. Yes, absolutely. And maybe that's okay. Right. I'm not even saying that it should be the yeah. case that, but what he's saying, and he's not, I'm not saying that he's saying this. I'll say this now. What I'm saying is that, it definitely is the case that it is not true that we have free speech. So people say, what's 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 the First Amendment in America? Well, free speech. We don't have free speech. There's 100%. Mm. It is the case that there are things that you cannot say, right? Mm -hmm. So that's basically what's going on. I think that's what he's doing. Yeah. He's doing this to prove a point. And maybe, it's, maybe he's wrong. I'm just saying that's what I think he's doing. Yeah, okay. Okay, before we move on to our main topic, there's one other right. thing that we have to cover in the intro. Okay. All right, because, Drew, I'm going to ask you first. All right. Because you haven't gotten to talk much. Okay. Auburn just hired Hugh Freeze. Yeah. Give me your thoughts on that. Let's do some gumping. All right, gump time. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not surprised, point one. <laughs> not surprised at all. 
Figured it would happen. I think everybody figured it would happen. There's no chance they would get Lane Kiffin. Right. Or, I mean, there's not, there's not, there's they not They weren't going to hire Cadillac. Right. Yeah, they're not going to hire They weren't going to hire Deion Sanders. That's right. That's right. Who else is out there? And that, and that's exactly it is how many great coaches are really available right now? Not many. So. You think Hugh Freeze is a great coach? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. So anyway, it's not surprising that they would hire him. Um, Let's tackle it from a football angle first. What do you think about the hire, football wise? You think you think Hugh Freeze will be any good over there? This is I'll open this question up up to the floor. I think he is your typical Auburn coach that will have one ten plus win season out of every three or four. That's what I'm feeling, honestly. And then have have a couple eight or nine seven win seasons in there too. Yeah. Hey, I saw a crazy tweet the other day that I didn't fact check, and I'm going to see if I get this right. But you'll probably know this: Hugh Freeze went five and seven with. Chad Kelly, um, who was the wide receiver that was on that team that was so good? AJ Brown. AJ, no, is that right? AJ Brown. Gosh, wouldn't Probably. it? Like, I don't know. The, did they have a Metcalf? Yeah, he was mm. more recent though. AJ Brown was like their Metcalf really went good on one. with Kelly. I think Metcalf was. Metcalf was the one who peed on the uh, like the oh, fake peeing yeah. on the goalpost like two years ago. Oh yeah, I think you're right. Two about years that. ago. Let me see if I can look it up. You may have to cut but this wasn't dead he, air out. I think he was with Kelly because he was – wasn't Metcalf a freshman or something? He was on the team when they beat us back-to-back years. And I know Chad Kelly was on one of those teams, wasn't he? Here we go. I just found it. <laughs> We're both right. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to this. In 2016, which is when Metcalf was, that just was longer ago okay. than you realize. But yeah. we're all – we're right. Listen to this. <laughs> He went five and seven in 2016 with Chad Kelly, AJ Brown, Van Jefferson, Evan Ingram, and DK Metcalf. Wow. Yeah. Five and seven. Yeah. Yeah. Is he good? I mean, is he even good? What year was this? 2016. What was what was the best record that he had with Ole Miss? 2014. I mean, the only thing he did was beat us. Right. Twice. That's, that's, yeah. that's what. Which yeah. Is, I know he beat us twice. I'm just, yeah. I didn't have to say that. I mean, like, we knew it. <laughs> But like well, I'm just saying, like that, that was his claim to fame, <laughs> right? But in all seriousness, that's, like, the, that's the only point. thing he did yeah. was beat us. Yeah, which that is such an Auburn hire, right? He didn't. Right. He didn't even win the West. You know, they were going back. They were watching them highlights from 2014 <laughs> in Oxford. Like, oh boys, we're gonna get him again. <laughs> I think you hire, know, call up you right now. And he just and he like he, oh, and what he said in that he just he did such that press conference was such an Auburn press. I'm so sorry for all of our Auburn people listening because you're I didn't just even watch it. You're in the, you're in Gump world right Stop now. Stop listening. Just, you just Stop need to listening. fast forward because I'm sorry. And look, you can have your own podcast and do this to Alabama. I don't care, and I probably won't listen to it either. So we're all even. But I'll, like, I'll even put a, a timestamp in the description. That, that's so when you can nice fast forward. So we're we're being judicious about this, but like that press conference just hit all of the highlights. He like talked about how Alabama was nervous. Now, oh, I think Saban's going to be a little nervous now. Oh, yeah. Cringy. Yeah, so like, uh, so you hit kind of you hit you hit kind of the Alabama take. The uh, athletic it was a it was a controversial hire and the athletic director took zero questions. All of the questions from the from the reporters in the in the crowd were clear plants. Like not one of them asked him anything controversial. About like none of them are actual journalists, you yeah. know. It's like because this is a hugely controversial hire, obviously, because he comes with a lot of baggage, and it's not the same kind of baggage. You know, people want to pretend like Saban comes with baggage. Like Saban's baggage was 
that when he was working for a team, he said he wasn't going to leave. Yeah. Like, oh, that's the that's, that's the baggage. It's yeah. like, as if that's never happened, right? Like that's what is he supposed to do? Like that's and as if that's wrong, right? That's actually the right thing. That's to do. not wrong. Yeah, and it's not even a lie. It's just like I'm yeah. not going to. That is not the appropriate. I'm not going to answer that in this in this you know arena. Anyway, that doesn't even matter. Even if Saban was wrong about that, that's nowhere near the type of stuff that Hugh Freeze brings with his baggage. And he doesn't even bring just NCAA violations like Bruce Pearl, right? Like like Bruce Pearl, Auburn hired Bruce Pearl while he was on a show cause. That was unheard of at the time. Nobody does that, you know, but that's okay. That's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, necessarily, if that's what you want to do. But like Hugh Freeze's baggage is... Is deep. Is like a morality type thing, mm-hmm. like not a... Very different. Yeah, it's actually made me rethink the way that I hate Bruce Pearl. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't actually hate Bruce you, Pearl. You hate the Bruce way Pearl I in a sporting way. Yeah. Like, oh, he's the coach at Auburn. Yeah. He does stuff at a sporting level that I don't like. And I don't, and I hate him. Right. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the same way that, like, an Auburn fan hates Saban. That's yeah. fine. But not liking Bruce Pearl is more like, and he didn't do this, but it's like more like how you like wouldn't like an NFL player because he beat his wife. Like, oh, well, yeah. now we're just done with you. Yeah. Like you're just a bad guy. It's not just like you took steroids. Yeah. You know, like if it, it was a player that's on PEDs and you don't just like write him off, you know, it's like, well, you know, he did something that was illegal for the sport and it's kind of cheating. But, you know, I still like Pete Rose. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I wish he wouldn't have done that, but yeah. know, I still like Pete yeah, Rose. Yeah, I still like Mark McGuire. Right. You know, I still, sure. that still was fun, you know. But, like, you have to write people. Anyway, but, like, Hugh, Hugh Freeze's stuff is, like, you know, he was, you know, calling escorts. The the stuff of when he was in high school is yeah. very questionable. So, anyway, that doesn't matter. That's not really the point. The point is, though, is that he comes with a lot of baggage, and not one question was asked yeah. about the baggage. Not one. And the AD makes this hire, is at the press conference, and stays for no questions. <laughs> what a joke. And he's a new AD. Like, he should have to answer a question or two. Yeah, Absolutely. And he was Mississippi State's AD, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a weird. Mm. Yeah. So, what's been really interesting to me is all the Auburn people online—not all of them, a great deal of them—they're not even listening right now. Who who cares? But um, talking about, oh well, you know, isn't there forgiveness? Isn't there grace? <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? Second you know, chance. Come on now. Second we've chance. We've all messed. We've up. all sinned. You know, all these people are judging Auburn for hiring Hugh Freeze when just a couple weeks before they were saying, we better hire a Cadillac or I'm going to be furious. And then they just they just dropped that immediately to say, oh, no, this is a great, this is redemption. This is grace. Right. This man deserves a second chance because he spoke at Liberty's convocation, gave a little sermon. Right. Entitled Grace is Greater. Mm. And shared a little bit of his, you know, issues. (laughs) And, um. So now it's and, all good now. He can be part of the forget. Auburn family. He can recite the Auburn Creed with yeah. genuineness. <laughs> Let's not forget, too, that he was uh, really good buddies with uh, Falwell Jr. Yes. Yeah. Who had all sorts of sexual issues, too. They had some Whew. weird stuff. I, weird messed stuff. Up. I remember when all that happened that's and I read about up. it, but I don't even remember all of it. Something with the pool boy or something. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's just one of many. Up. A lot of swinging stuff a lot going of, on. Yeah. Mm. Very weird stuff. That's a messed up family. It Very is. messed up. It is. And Hugh Freeze was friends with them. He traveled with them. Uh, I don't know, man. There's a lot of weird stuff there. That dude is yeah. weird. Yeah. Well, the point is, and let's let's say he did nothing, right? Let's say Hugh Freeze is, is truly cleaned up, okay? He's truly cleaned up. He's truly 
has left that life behind. And maybe he was friends with the Falwells, but he did nothing right. But the point is, is that even with all that said, you should answer the question that way. You should take a question, acknowledge the baggage that you have. Like that's a proper press conference is you let the people ask you the questions. You're, you are bringing baggage with you. And you don't get to just avoid them and then say, hey, you're supposed to just let it go and forgive me. Yeah. No, you you have to answer these questions. And he needs to actually have to answer to his relationship to the Falwells, the stuff that he did with the girl in high school, the stuff that happened. You know, there's ongoing stuff from Liberty. Yeah. Right now. Yes. Yeah. And that may be that may all be false, right? But it's not wrong to have to answer that That's question. Right. Yep. But anyway. Well, and the other thing that I like to look at it's not just from a football perspective. Like imagine this was any other job and you had a couple different options of where you were going to work. And you found out that your boss had all these issues in his past where he had been with escorts and you wouldn't want to work there. Would mm-hmm. you wouldn't send your kids to go work for that guy? But for some reason when it's a football or any kind of sporting yeah. program, it just gets overlooked. And the big problem with Auburn is they claim all this moral superiority which is why they're hiring this guy with this baggage. Like you say, regardless of what's true or not true, even presently. But, um, yeah, which is, you know what, which is fine. Like, you don't have to. You can hire him if you want to. Yeah. But don't say out of the other side of your mouth that you only have people of high, like, Christian character and That's right, which is what they say. Right. I mean, that's what's so annoying about that fan base. Which is why they wanted to fire Harson. They made up the fact that yeah. he had an affair. Yeah, they were going to wow. fire him with cause for an affair. Wow. And, that he didn't even have. Right, but even if he did, yeah. right? Like, okay, even if you're... So then you're they gonna, hire Hugh Freeze. You're going to be on your high horse <laughs> about an affair, and that for that gives us cause to fire yeah. you, and yet Hugh Freeze is who oh, you replace geez. him with. You know, I mean, come on. It, it, what a joke of a program. Like, look, I would hire Lane Kiffin to be Saban's replacement if Saban left. Absolutely. Like, That's what I would want. With... with no comments or concerns about the fact that he can't stay away from co-eds. I'm not defending that behavior, but it's not it's not illegal, you know, right? There's nothing illegal that he's doing. It's just he's not an upstanding Christian man. Yeah. But I'm not hiring him to a Christian position. Yeah. So, that's like that's where I am as an Alabama fan. Like yeah. that's where I stand on it. It's like, yeah, I mean, I wish it was the case that everybody in the world were Christians and of upstanding character and, you know, we could really pull for those kind of things. And it is it is more fun and enjoyable whenever you do have those hires in those positions. But I don't have to like do... Like a Nate Oates type. Like a Nate Oates yeah. type. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like you, But I don't have to mental gymnastics myself as an Alabama fan every yeah. time we make a hire to convince myself that this person is a Christian even whenever they're clearly not, yeah. right? Like it's just, okay, we, we know we're hiring non-Christians because it's not a Christian position. And I, you know, it's like, I don't... It doesn't have to be the case that the person who, you know, cooks my food at a restaurant is a Christian. Yeah. Even during the, I was just thinking about the Auburn stuff, even during the Cadillac thing, um, and he had a couple wins in a row, and y'all know, um, well, it's just something I've seen on Facebook a lot, but Rick Carley or something like that from Fox I don't think I do. News in, um, it's like, it's a Birmingham thing, but he's huge on Facebook and all these boomer oh, Auburn I think, fans. Yes, 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 yes. I know are, what you're talking about. Yeah, are reposting all this stuff. And he was just had these huge, effeminate-sounding, paragraph-long stuff about Cadillac. Have you ever seen a coach wear a sweatshirt on the sideline? I was like, Many yeah, times. Many times, actually. Uh, have you ever seen a coach run down the sideline with a wide receiver going to the end zone? Or 
be as passionate as Cadillac and all this sort of just... Many times, yes. Yeah, exactly. All this just flowery language to describe Cadillac. It was just nauseating. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that makes me sick. Yes. That's why I hate Auburn. Right. Well, I've got to hand it to our fellow gumps out there because this last week they've had some good ones. They've Whore Eagle. Uh-huh. That was a good one. Mm, that's good. And I saw a Groomer's Corner floating around out there on Twitter. <laughs> uh-huh. That was good. Yeah. There have been some good ones. There has. It's been and a again, better week. Let's just remember, this is supposed to be fun. Yeah. It's just fun. So everybody just needs to relax. Even all the stuff we just said, it's just for fun. Just for fun. We're just trying to point out the hypocrisy because that's for fun. And I don't really I don't really care. I don't Hugh Hugh Freeze's immorality has no effect on my life. Like, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on in this world. I wish that it didn't, but you know, it's just is what it is. Our point was the immoral I mean, was the uh, hypocrisy of the whole thing. Yeah. Because it's a rivalry and we're supposed to not like our rivals. That's Correct. the point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. And if you want to discuss this further, you can do that. By subscribing to our Substack, thank you. Getting in the signal chat, even if you're an Auburn fan out there and you want to argue with us, get Please. in the signal chat, and we would be happy. Do it to discuss this more. Maybe Do you can it. even prove us wrong. Subscribe to the Substack on edguestpod.substack.com. Absolutely. And with that, let's wrap up the intro and move on to our next segment. What do you guys think? All right, all right, let's do it. <laughs> all right, time for our topic of the week. This week, we decided we would uh, continue on in the world of politics and talk about the Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, this is something that just passed the Senate, and it, it was, I, I believe, if I have this right, I think it was, it didn't pass the House, then it passed the Senate, and now it's going back to the House, maybe. Or it passed the House, and it's been amended in the Senate, maybe, and now it's going back to the House. So it's passed the Senate, and it is going to, regardless, it's got to go back to the House, so... However, that happened, um, and so now it uh, it seems like it's pretty likely to pass into uh, to go to the president's desk, and then to pass into law. So let's talk about what it is, and then really we're going to talk about this from a Christian's per- from a Christian's perspective. I mean, that's what we are, but also we're going to talk about some reactions that we saw um, around uh, evangelicalism and the people who write about this kind of thing um, throughout the last couple weeks. So essentially, the Respect for Marriage Act allows people who entered into gay unions uh, between Oberfell and whenever it would be overturned. So they're doing this. The Democrats are wanting to push this as a um, sort of a getting ahead of uh, preventing in case the Supreme Court were to overturn Oberfell uh, in the same way that they overturned Roe v. Wade. And the main reason is because Clarence Thomas in his uh, sort of opinion on yeah. on Roe v. Wade, he sort of mentioned that this type of ruling could also be applied to Oberfell mm-hmm. and that kind of freak. Which would be awesome. Out. Yeah, which would be kind of <laughs> sick. But uh, that's okay. And so he's so anyway, this this provision, the, the Respect for Marriage Act, allows people who enter into gay unions between Oberfell, so that's where we are now, and whenever the, the Oberfell will be overturned, to continue to have their marriages recognized by the federal government and to be granted reciprocity in various states. So what that would mean is, is it would mean anybody who has uh, gotten a gay marriage uh, between now and, let's say, the Supreme Court overturns Oberfeld next year, well, those people, no matter what certain states do, would have reciprocity for their marriage in any state. So, for instance, let's say, like, like Roe v. Wade is basically now, it was overturned in the sense that now it's a state's issue, right? Like, Alabama can outlaw abortion and Tennessee can make it legal. 
So what this would do in a post-Oberfell world would maybe be that Tennessee um, allows gay marriage and Alabama doesn't. It would allow people who live in Alabama to go to Tennessee, get married, get a gay married, get gay married, and then come back to Alabama and have that marriage recognized. Like Alabama would be forced to recognize that marriage to give it reciprocity. That's what the Respect for Marriage Act is attempting to do. So um, does that make sense to you yeah, too? Yeah, because it that? came from a state that recognized it. That's right. Did I explain that okay? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. All right, so that's where we are. So um, we kind of we've been tossing around some ideas. Uh, we've we've read some we've read various things um, uh, of people reacting to this. Some of the big ones uh, in our in our world that have reacted to this were uh, David French, obviously the the former conservative juggernaut. Who uh, keyword former? Yeah, p- yeah. Keyword is former there. Uh, now he's just hilarious, basically on Twitter with some of the best, like some of the people most... need to. There's a sense in which people need to stop caring about him. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it's like every time I get on Twitter, people are talking about how stupid David French is. I'm like, yeah, we get it. Yeah, just move on. It, it is true. Like it, it's easier for people like us to move on. Yeah, because I guess we that's pretty true. much only remember David French as what he is now. Right. But it's really hard. It, for us it'd be like, I don't know. It'd be like if if uh Alex Jones suddenly thought the government was Would it be that way? It'd be like, like if was Alex David Jones French? It would be like if Alex Jones believed in no conspiracy theories. You know, we'd be like <laughs> we'd be like do y'all remember it's like if Alex Jones suddenly started tweeting about how 9/11 was clearly done by people in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. It'd be like do y'all remember Alex Jones used to think that this was the, you know what I mean? Like, that's what, that's how conservatives feel about David French. They're like. So what was David French, what's his background? What was his claim to fame? How did he, did he write for somebody big or what? I mean. You know, I'm, I'm only, not a David French scholar, but I, yes, I've only he come used about to be a big in the deal. last year or so. No, no, no. He, he's been a big deal for a long time as far as in, in conservative think tank world. Uh, and he used to have some great stuff. I mean, you go back and read uh, stuff that David French would now disagree with, and you know he he had some good takes. I mean, like especially. I mean, the article that that he wrote that I think I sent y'all mm-hmm. that he, that he wrote was like why I've changed my mind again, yeah. like yeah. for a third time again, yeah, about <laughs> about gay marriage. You know, so he's like having to admit that he's like just continually continuously slid left. You know, just gradually yeah slid left. So. So you got David French, and then even better than David French is you have Carl Truman's response to David French, which yeah. we should talk about. And then we've got a couple things from mere orthodoxy, uh, and then we can maybe talk about it from a progressive uh, standpoint, and just maybe get some get you know pull all these perspectives together, and then kind of talk about what we what we think about this Respect for Marriage Act. Um, so I say we start with the uh, Carl Truman response. What do you think? Okay. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah. Because Carl Truman, you know, is at least, <clears throat> like, he's kind of what would probably be, you know, our side, you know, quote unquote, of yeah. the whole, of the way we think. You know, Carl Truman is an OPC, Orthodox Presbyterian Church guy. He's a... Have you read his book, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self? I, I have. Uh, I have not read that book. I should have done the Michael Scott thing. I should have said, read it. I own it. Yeah. But no, I have not read it. Okay. I've read it. You've read it? No. <laughs> I know you had read it. <laughs> yeah. No, I have not read it. I've um I've skimmed it. Like I've I've, you know, I've read people talk about it and I have it and it is on my bookshelf, but I just Well, hey, I haven't read it either. Yeah. But it's one of those things like I know I'm gonna agree with it. Yeah. So I mean like Now I listen to uh I'm not at all saying this is on the same level. 
but I listened to a couple interviews that he was in about the book. So I could at least kind of get a feel for it, you know. You've basically read the book then. Yeah, I guess that's... All right, so, you know, Carl Truman, he's a... uh, What's he, a professor at Grove City College? Yes. So he's at Grove City College. Seems like a good college, although they got some issues too. That's all um, right. In the faculty. Um, But anyway, so he he tells us, and and in doing this, he kind of talks about David French's article, but David French argues that the... Basically, that the legislation contains provisions that are sufficient to protect religious liberty, um, especially because there was a religious liberty amendment that was adopted into the bill. Um, maybe Mike Lee, does that sound right? I think it was a Mike Lee amendment uh, that was adopted into the bill and um, that those protect religious dissenters and, um, but still it accepts the legitimacy of same-sex unions as civil marriages. So he thinks it's a, he thinks it's a win for religious conservatives because it's like, uh, of course, this is of course David French. Of course, he thinks this. Like he thinks that it 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 does secure religious liberty, but Truman thinks that um, it does not. And Truman goes further though. And the reason I think this article is so interesting is that Truman goes a little further than to just talk about this. And what he actually he he Truman is a very good social critic, in my opinion. He right. he understands the world. He does a nice job of sort of analyzing like why these things are happening, you know, and what's what's really going on. And so where the article, I think, takes an interesting turn, uh, we'll maybe put links to all these in the uh, in the show notes, maybe if we can remember to do that, Bo, since we're trying to be a professional podcast now. Um, I'll write this down. Yeah. <laughs> he says, I don't see any paper. Okay, anyway. Uh, he says, Truman argues that evangelical elites will prove unreliable and compromised as the cultural revolution goes on. He says this directly. He says, Jerry Falwell Jr. and David French are two sides of the same coin. Um, they function as, uh, I'm sorry, functions of an evangelical culture where a kind of moral absolutism applies even in the voting booth. But voting is a nasty, dirty business, an act of fallen people in a fallen world, an, unavo- an unavoidable trade-off of evils. So what he's saying is that, and you know, this is right, like is that we kind of grew up in the world where um, evangelicalism was telling you if you didn't, like they could bind your conscience morally about voting. Right. It's like you have to vote for the Republican candidate. And if you don't do that, you know, it's immoral. Right. David French is basically doing the same thing as Jerry Falwell Jr. He's the same, but it's so it's two sides of the same coin. Uh, And what Truman is saying is that voting is a nasty, dirty business. It's actually an act of a fallen people in a fallen world. And it's much more nuanced than that sort of thing, because it's unavoidable that you're going to have to trade off evils. Right. You're going to have to pick the lesser of two evils. There's no such thing as like a, a moral absolutism to this. Like one side is right, one side is wrong in every way, right? It's going to be, yeah, I mean, you know, Donald Trump's got some issues, but look at my other option. Like that's yeah, what he's, he's not, basically arguing. He's not Clinton. Yeah. Right. That's basically what he's arguing, you know. He's saying, you know, Truman goes on to argue that Protestants, you know, are going to have to wake up to this fact. Um, uh, to, oh, to the fact, sorry, that they don't own the country. And whether or not they ever did own the country is maybe up for debate, but a lot of people feel like they did own the country at some point in time. But regardless of that, they don't own the country anymore. you know. And so he's saying Protestants are going to have to wake up to this fact. And because of that, he says Protestant leadership is about to change really fast. Mm-hmm. And he's using David French as, as kind of this example. And he is right about this, I think. I mean, who are the, who are the most prominent Protestant le- leaders right now? 
even even on all sides, like even on the sides, even the ones that maybe we would agree with. I'm just saying, like, yeah. who are some of these names? John MacArthur, right? Um, yeah. Um, even Doug Wilson. Yeah. Like, how old are all these guys? They're up there. Who are the who are the? I was going to say, uh, you know, John Piper. He's up there. Yep. in age. Yep. Right, like that's yeah, that's who it is. Um, yeah, Archie you know, Sproul's dead. I mean, there's there, yeah, yeah. So that's exactly what he's saying is that it's it's going to pass quickly to the next generation, and that the old leadership of Protestant America lived in a world where. You know, Christians, we might have been been viewed as like stupid, you know, like, oh, they don't believe in evolution. They believe in creation. So they're kind of idiots, but not evil. We weren't viewed as evil, right? It's just kind of like, yeah, kind of. Yeah. But now, you know, because that back then the fault line between Christians and society was basically belief in the inerrancy of scripture and the virgin birth and creation, right? It's like, so Christians believe that stuff and non-Christians don't. It's like, look how stupid those Christians are. But, you know, I'd have them as a next door neighbor good for property values, you know, they're good folks, but they're idiots. But now this old leadership is not prepared for the new world that exists now because now, and Truman says this, this is a direct quote, and I I put it in here because I wanted to read this because it's really good. He says, being mocked for believing in miracles is much easier to handle than being hated as a bigot. And it is now obvious the Christian position on the key issues of membership in society today those of sexual identity, gender, and abortion cannot but implicate one in public debates and will merit the title of bigot. Hmm. So what he's saying is that in the old world, the Jerry Falwell, you know, world of Christian, the the things that gave you membership into society, the fault lines were like Christians could participate in society just fine. The things that gave you membership had nothing to do with you being a bigot, right? But now, what makes you a Christian, where those fault lines fall, is what are your stances on sexual identity? What are your, what are your stances on gender? What are your stances on abortion? And now, if you're going to take the Christian stance, society is going to tell you that you are a Nazi. Yeah, and because they label you as bigoted, that justifies their ability to be bigoted towards you. You are a hater of other people, so we hate you. We despise Christians. We right. despise the church. And the the fact of the matter is, is that for anybody who is a Christian, that is inevitable for us in the coming years. We will be viewed as that if, you know, if we haven't already on an individual basis. It absolutely will happen. So whether it's people at your job or friends, family, there's no real way of sort of um, making yourself be viewed in a positive light in their mind. That's right. Like, that's just not going to happen. And so, to your point, we could just accept that and then move on instead of trying to figure out, oh, well, how can I, you know, make sure that they think I'm okay? Right. They're never going to do that because you oppose... LGBTQ plus, you're you're pro life. All these basic things that the Bible says can't happen anymore. You you we can't even have that conversation. That's right. Immediately, you deserve to be hated. Get you out. I think this actually was talked about in a previous episode. The point was made that back in the fifties and sixties, if you were in a job interview, 
you could say that you were a Christian and that was a positive to the interviewer. You could use right. your you could yep. use your faith and your religion to your advantage. And then at some point in the eighties and nineties it was neither a positive or a negative. It was just a thing that you would just say and nobody cared. Now it's becoming a thing where it's actually a detrimental thing. And if you say it, you have to you have to really want to say it. You have to really stand behind it. Yeah, and that, I think this echoes all of that. Credit for that uh, goes to Aaron Wren. I talked about that in Sunday okay. school. I think it's what you're remembering. It's, Maybe. it's Aaron Wren. He talks about. It's a great article. You should find Aaron. Look at look up Aaron Wren, um, three world view, and he talks about how we now live in a ne- he calls it the negative world. That the world is now negative towards Christianity, and it's not no longer. We went from positive to neutral to negative. Uh, and now we're in the negative world. And uh, he does a lot of work in that area. He's really good on that stuff. I, I highly recommend. He's got a good podcast and he writes and stuff. But the reason I wanted to do Truman's first is because I think Truman sort of hits the nail on the head about this divide of the new world. Because, you know, it, there was a time in which in American politics, something like the the Respect for Marriage Act would come up. And we could really have a philosophical discussion about things like religious liberty and um, what it's like to live in a nation with people who aren't Christians and what liberties should we give them while making sure the church still has its liberties and, you know, separation of church and state and all this kind of nuance, right? And Truman is sort of cutting right to the heart of the issue here. And he's saying, yeah, David French is trying to make it sound like he's just trying to make sure that we get something codified for for religious liberty because we've already lost the battle for marriage. And yeah. So we need to get re- – but what, what Truman is saying is no, that, no, you need to recognize French for what he is – here he is somebody who either willfully or you know ignorantly whatever he either doesn't realize or he does realize and he is helping usher in a new world that is particularly cru- uh, critical to Christians for their stances on this and it's not going to be kind to us in the ways that we think that it is if we make room for these sorts of that's right you know changes to law is the point that he's making and so now Maybe we can talk about another another article was a pretty good one by a guy named Jake Meter or uh, Meador M E A D O R. I've only read I've seen a couple things for him, but it was a mere orthodoxy article. So I'm sorry if I messed up that name. I'm sure he's listening to this. So oh, he know. is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if he is, he should subscribe to our Substack at unedguest. Yeah. If you get it, Jake, if you get in the signal message, we could talk about how yeah. to pronounce your name. <laughs> Absolutely, it'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Unedguestpod.substack.com. <laughs> so. Anyway, he says, um, he starts to talk about, again, very interesting. He brings up, again, it's been interesting to me that all these articles that I was reading around this idea really were talking about kind of um, broad evangelicalism and boomer Christianity and like the change in generations is because this is really showing a an, un- an inevitable change in our mm. culture, you know, as far as like how the American church is going to what type of influence Protestantism really had, or Christianity, because, I mean, Catholics would agree with us on on the gay marriage and abortion type issues. So, you know, what what kind of influence Christianity is having and how much it's waning on our actual political um, policy. But he talks about how the resources and numbers of the boomer church are dwindling, and th- this is leading to, to like a disaster of influence of the American church in American society, you know, because the boomer church has put, I mean, to their credit, like tons of money and time into the church influencing society. And now that is dying off and not really being replaced. He says that whenever you pair that with fertility rate going off of a cliff, no concept of gender and what sex is really for, 
he says this. He says, wrong behavior is progressive always. It never stops at being not very good. I'm sorry, this is actually a Tolkien quote. That's Tolkien, My bad. Yeah, this is a Tolkien quote. Uh, Tolkien said this. Which is a good quote. It's a great quote. That's why I wanted to stop and make sure we get it right. This is a Tolkien quote that he quotes in this article. Mm -hmm. He says, wrong behavior is progressive always. It never stops at being not very good or second best. It either reforms Mm -hmm. or goes on to third rate, bad, and abominable. J.R. Tolkien. He wrote Lord of the Rings, if y'all don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a movie that, that he wrote and, and released. Right. It wasn't uh, a book. In, yeah, in 20, 2005 or something. So. It was like a prequel to Harry Potter or something. Yeah, I think that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. I think that's it. <laughs> so what do you guys think about, first of all, what do you think about that quote? Well, I think it's true. I think that, um, I mean, it's it's why I would have a, a, a presuppositional view to apologetics because you're not starting off with things on neutral ground. And um, I think he's correct about the fact that anything that is evil has a progressive idea to it because what's stopping you from wanting more evil if you're already into evil? It's just, yep. it's, a, it's I, I, I love it. And I love the background of that conversation with Tolkien and Lewis. Lewis, who was saying that, you know, in the United Kingdom, you know, we could have two different views of marriage. We could have a civil view and we could have a religious view, a theological view. Therefore, we could allow for no fault divorce. And um, that's okay. You know, and then Tolkien comes in and just absolutely crushes him in this letter that has just sort of recently been uh, discovered. Apparently, as far as he didn't even send the letter or something. Yeah. I think in the um, article he talks about yeah. like this was a letter that 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 Tolkien okay. was like found in Tolkien's things that he didn't even get to. Send. Oh, he didn't even send it. Like to he Lewis. sort of got okay. sort of was yeah. maybe at the end of his life, and it was like he didn't even get to send it to him, or maybe he just. I see. Maybe I he see. wrote it when he was mad or something, and never intended to send it. Like I but, see, but we know it now. But we know what he thought. <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, really you can cool. just delete the email now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is why we should write things down yeah. more. You know. Yeah, yeah, it could be stuck in an old book versus. Um, in your drafts, in your email, that right. accidentally gets sent. Right. Anyway, yeah, it's good, and and I think I think Tolkien's exactly right about he's that. right about it. Yeah. And so, what what the author of this article, Jake Medor, was saying was that uh, his point is is that is is are we entering a time where our culture is simply growing into like a gross caricature of itself right before it passes away, like some cultures have done before, like where it just, you know, just turns into like the most extreme versions of its actual beliefs, you know, where like we have, you know, drag queen story hour and like the sexualization of children and stuff like that. Like what would that look like historically? He says that as other societies, what what would that be? Well, I mean, I think, I think how many other societies have like degraded into decadence but like what would like what would well, be an I example? think you'd probably say that like I think you could probably say that maybe like the um you know the gladiator battles would be an example of that like that's of a Rome, decadent yeah. version of like the Rome's greatness that okay. rather than, rather than conquering it had to use those sorts of things as entertainment so that's like a decadent version of actual manliness and conquest right it's like this only for sport not for anything actually that you've done or or even there you know what what Rome did with its own sexual issues, you know, mm-hmm. that it had at the decline of its culture the same way, you know, because Rome was a very, you know, like liberal democratic society, you know, like, like we are. And that kind of s- seems to be what it, what the inevitable end of a liberal democracy is. I, I mean, would like, say a lot of the cultures in Mexico, like the Aztecs, 
got more and more ritualistic in their sacrifices right, right. before the end. Right. They became a caricature of yeah. like what they already believed. Yeah. You know, so that tends to, and I think that's what Tolkien's saying, right? Is that like, whatever you believe, that's not where it's going to end. It's going to continue to grow into that's its right. grossness, you know, and it's never going to stop it just kind of bad. You know, it's going to continue to go. And, and so that's what he's saying in this article, Jake is saying, you know, is that what we're, what we're doing? And so if that is what we're doing, and I think, you know, there's a good case to be made that that is what we're doing. And so with that in mind, should we fight hard? Should, you know, we have two, two mm -hmm. options we could take. Should mm -hmm. we fight hard to keep like the right idea of marriage and sex intact so that whenever society does collapse, we can put the right thing back, right? Like, so we'll still have some remnant left of what was true so that, and just wait for the collapse. And then whenever sex negativity comes, we'll be ready, you know, whenever that era comes back. Or with the Respect for Marriage Act, do we take what we can get right now, which is at least protection, you know, allegedly protection of Christian civil unions? You know, do we take what we can get now? Because society is going to get worse and the influence of the church is going to continue to wane and it's going to get lower and lower. And so maybe next time this question comes up in 2026, we won't get any religious liberty protections. Man, that's a tough question. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah, that's yeah. his point. Yeah, I think it's a good point. My gut reaction would be the former, not the latter, because um, I don't think that the religious freedom thing is even as great of a thing as we think it is. Like, I think a lot of that is just Let's a sham. Let's say that it is, though. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I don't think that it is, and we can talk about that maybe in a little bit, more in the practicality of it, but like just philosophically— because that's really sort of Matthew Lee Anderson sort of tackles the actual whether the religious liberty protections are actually in there. But I wanted to go this route first because let's just figure out what we think about this philosophically. Because I really don't know. I'm still kind of working this out. I want to okay. get, you know, I want to think this out out loud. Let's let's pretend that the let's just say hypothetically that the religious liberty protections are legitimate. They're actually going to always protect churches, allow churches to do what they want to do. Okay. What should we pass it or should we still fight for it and, and try to deny it? Um, you know, like like he asked, you know, should we should we take what we can get now or or should we fight so hard and just wait for the collapse and, and try to outlast and and have a remnant left whenever this collapses? I still think that. All right, tell me what you think. Tell me why. Well, because I don't, I still don't think that the good the good part. Let's say it's good, right? I still don't think that outweighs the evil of it, which is saying a homosexual, um, sinful relationship is a marriage. Christians in all situations, we, I don't, I don't like the pragmatic idea of well, take what we can get, and so therefore I end up supporting a bill that supports something against God. I just don't, I don't think we should even think like that as Christians. So I think the the first part is the best option. Sort of the, I mean, and I'm not, I, I don't mean yeah. this as negatively as it probably sounds, but for lack of a better term, sort of, the, you're, you're sort of t thinking we should sort of take the martyr route. I mean, even if it were to lead to our death, like as Christians, we're supposed to just do what is right. I think we should do what is right. And not be so pragmatic. And then, yeah, it sounds very simplistic, but do what's right and leave the rest to God. And so we, no, we're against it. It's bad. Uh, and um, and then if if they start making churches do this, then we just fight that battle too. And like, then we go to just jail we just it. we just fight it. 
And yeah. uh, and I actually I actually think that that would be I think that that would actually gain more ground. The other side would say that that's not true. But the reason I think that would gain more ground is I think it would speed up the process because it's inevitable that this is going to collapse. I believe because it's not built on it's built on sinking sand, and so this is all going to come down. And I think that not in our lifetime, unfortunately for us, but possibly in our grandchildren's lifetime, this is going to get turned around. And there's going to be this massive momentum in the other direction. And I've been thinking about this today because if you look at, you think about things in a hundred year increment, how different our country was from 1860 to 1960, regardless of politically, you know, obvious civil war, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Strange year right? choice there. Strange year choice. But if I, you look at I, what our country was like well, in 1861 versus 19. Well, I, cho- I chose 1960 because I think the 60s was a decade that, that turned it around. I get that. And so if you think, if you think about it like that, man, that's a big change. Um, yeah. as far as what we That's think, true. what we think about religion, yeah. what we think about marriage, sex, sex, big change yeah. in a hundred years. Yeah. All right. 1960 to, uh, what? 2060. Yeah. Man, what is that going to look like? It's going to be bad. I'll tell you. It's going <laughs> to be bad. All right. So let's just, let's just mark that off the, the list. Okay? The hundred year theory is working out. Cause now I'm thinking about the 1760s. Yeah. See, yeah. Play it out in your mind, yeah. 100 years at a time. Yeah. All right? How quickly things can change 100 years at a time. Get to 2060. All right, 2060 to 2160. There. I think I think something can happen there. And I, I I'm not it's not like a like a prophetic thing. I just think that things you're, change. You're not speaking that over that century. I'm not century. speaking that over that century, but I think that, that that's our grandchildren, okay? Because right. when our grandchildren are 80 years old, that's going to be about that time. So um, I think they could be the time to see that. So all of that is my point to say that we should fight for what's right, for God's truth now, and come what may, and it maybe could speed up the process for gaining ground. I think that if we took that, that latter option, as you mentioned, we would just be prunk, we would just kick the can down the road. Yeah. Yeah, I think a slow death is always more painful. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. I mean— Let's just rip the Band-Aid off and then try to fix the wound. Why are we playing around with it? Just Yeah, and it's clearly the more principled answer. So I do I do agree with it. My, my only question would be, uh, Tolkien only saw two options. Or, sorry, Lewis only saw two options. But you have the civil union and you have the religious union. Mm-hmm. What if there was just no civil union? That's always been my stance anyway. Like, what? how would y'all feel about that option? If they if it were only religious unions, there just happened to be non Christian churches who were doing it, but it wasn't sanctioned by the government. Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Um, it, that's just not what we. I mean, that's just not what we're gonna. We're never gonna get that. I mean, that's just never gonna happen. If we have a government, that's just never gonna happen. Yeah, but I think that would be my principled answer. But that's not one of the two options. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like that's not like we have the Respect for Marriage Act in front of us. We don't have the option to say, well, let's just have no. The government's already telling us they're going to have a say in this matter. We only can choose. I mean, in our discussion anyway, we only can choose what say they have in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I understand the anarchist answer is to say. 
get the government completely out of marriage, right? Like that was Ron Paul's thing, right? Like get the government completely out of marriage. Okay, that's fine. I mean, we could have that whole discussion. Yeah, I mean, what is the government even doing, you know, sanctioning marriage or issuing marriage licenses? None of that is really the government's business. However, you could easily make the argument that if you have a government, it is their job to promote the social good. Right. I mean, that's what the gov- yeah. I mean, that's what the government's supposed to do if, you know, if, if it exists at all. And so it exists. And so they're supposed to promote the social good. And so now we have to decide what is the social good. You know, French argues that the social good is setting up an order in which both gay people and Christian people can have what they want and somehow. Yeah. And what and I'm so, saying is that there's no such like that's why well, I haven't even said anything yet. But I would basically agree with you, Drew, but maybe even take it either a step further or maybe a step to the side and say that, like, I just sort of think that there's not even there's really no point in even saying this whole like religious liberty thing, like, oh, we should make sure we protect our religious liberties while we can, like Jake's saying and like 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 David French is saying, because there's not a world in which both things can exist at the same time Mm -hmm. and live peacefully together because there's going to be no neutrality here. Right. Exactly. There's there's no neutrality here in this because both side is inevitably and us too. I mean, and we should be proud of this by the way, right? We're supposed to be taking over the whole planet for the cause of Christ, making disciples of all the nations. So we're not going to be satisfied having next door neighbors who are gay married. We shouldn't be anyway. We should be trying to evangelize them. I'm not saying we should like at, at, at threat of violence, but I'm saying like we should be so dissatisfied with the social order that allows gay marriage that even wants it, right? It's like abortion. It's the same thing. Like we can't be satisfied with a social order that promotes abortion. Mm. One interesting thing that came to my mind about um, with the David French and all is Romans 13, right? Isn't That's the government passage, right? Correct. Romans 13. Mr. Seminarian. Yeah, miss, yeah, yeah. There's so much that I know. And uh, <laughs> But um, what's really interesting about that is David French and all these other guys, Russell Moore, would be citing that verse over and over and over in regards to COVID. All right, go with it, go with that's it, go right. with it, go with it. And then now all of a sudden we throw that out the window, ignoring the fact that that passage explicitly states that the role of the government, according to God, is to carry out the wrath of God against evil. Right. People miss that. Yes, it's about promoting good, but the government should be carrying out the wrath of God against evil. How is it that you're going to cite that chapter in support of COVID uh, uh, mandates while also ignoring that and then supporting something that the wrath of God burns against? being homosexuality. How in the world are you going to do that? We're going to do that if you, you know, you don't care anything about God's word, first of all, or you're a fool, all these things. But it's but because the real God that. is democracy. Yeah, exactly. Because there's something above God himself. That's right. Which is secular liberalism. That's right. So I, I just think that that's, and you talk about the boomer Christians that that article was talking about of the the passing of the torch to the next generation. Unfortunately, with a lot of the good things that they have done on an individual basis, we could say, I think that's a big thing that the church in the last couple of generations has completely missed. Yep, is this idea that we've put, we've put democracy, we've put these ideals ahead of God, ahead of His Word, and we've reaped the consequences for it. And now we have to pick up the pieces and figure out what we're going to do about it. And unfortunately, that's going to be more ugly than pretty, at least for the time being. 
But yep. yeah, I agree. And so <clears throat> Matt Lee Anderson is another guy that wrote uh, along these along this vein. He's the he's actually the founder of Mere Orthodoxy. Um, he works for the Baylor Religious Studies Institute, um, and he is you know he's a he is a Christian who argues for the RFMA Respect for Marriage Act. And mm-hmm. so let's talk about his argument. And get your feedback on on what you think is going on here. Let's say what what, what we might have as a critique. If you have one at all, um, so he argues that the uh, RFMA doesn't offer extensive protections for gay marriage, like people are saying. Actually, so he argues that, and and it is true that there are many progressive activists that don't like the bill um, because if Oberfell were to be done away with, it wouldn't do anything for new gay marriages, right? This bill only protects people who get a a gay marriage between now and this, you know, nebulous time in the future whenever Supreme Court would over overturn Oberfell. Um, so they are right about that, you know, and so there are many progressives, like like some 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 serious, you know, progressives that are against this bill, even though we are also against it, but they're against it for different reasons. They're against it because it's not it, it's not enough. It doesn't codify gay marriage enough to them. It only codifies <laughs> So this guy's it. a Christian, huh? Yes. This Mark Stern? Uh, Mark Lee Anderson. Yeah, okay, Mark Mark No, Anderson. Joseph Stern, the sta- the Slate article I sent you. Gotcha. He, he's just a straight progressive that gotcha. that is in favor of it, yeah. All right. But but Matt Lee Anderson, he he's the founder of Mirror Orthodoxy. That's the guy. Okay. Yeah, and he actually is in support of it. And he says this, on my understanding of the bill, the incremental protections offered to contemporary gay marriages are offset by incremental protections for religious institutions. Whether that is a bargain worth making depends partially on the understanding on the underlying politics of the issue and partially on the substance of the bill. So first he talks about the, you know, so he's saying that the protections offered to gay marriages are offset by the protections given to religious institutions. Yeah. And so he says it's like an even swap. Yeah. And so basically now it's just two things we should decide on the politics of the issue and the substance of the bill. So first, let's talk about the, what he says about the politics of the issue. He's saying, and he's probably right about this part, he's saying the politics of gay marriage in America is largely a settled issue, but respect for religious liberty is very much up for debate right now. Sure. And he's and right about he's that. He's right about that. That's you know, right. if the, it, is, it, is, it is definitely the case that even since Oberfell, uh, unlike Roe v. Wade, ever since Oberfell support for gay marriage has increased in our nation across the board. Like since Roe v. Wade was passed, support for abortion did not increase. So like people who were against abortion since Roe v. Wade are still against abortion. That would, you know, it did not see a drastic increase, but since Oberfell, so he's right about that. I mean, objectively, I would say that religious support for religious liberty is kind of going trending down and support for gay marriage is trending up. So he's saying support for gay marriage is like, socially a settled issue. So with that being the case, he says, the combination of these two political trends makes some sort of conciliatory stance seem reasonable. While I would have strongly preferred to see the Senate attach more robust religious liberty protections to this bill, it also seems plausible that conservatives got as much as reasonably possible in this political environment. Okay, so what do y'all think about that? And then, because that's that's kind of his, you yeah. know, looking at the politics of the issue. Then we'll look at the substance of the bill. Um, as much as they could get in this political en- uh, environment, I mean, um, 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's true to an extent. It's it's hard to say, but I don't. I don't know. I don't want this to be a cop out, but I don't find that to be exactly super relevant because it's sort of like I I, I don't know. I don't I don't like the framework of it at all. Of, right. It's it's yeah. But anyway, not, I, I not think to that be difficult. But I, no, no. I think that it's like a. <laughs> I think that it's like a hilariously yeah. conservative take. You know, conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit. But and losing with dignity. Yeah, like and that, that yeah. shows that's the conservative that take right there yeah. that he's yeah, saying. It's, it's just, like, look, man, we've already lost. Let's just get what we can get. Yeah. You know, like, let's just get what we can get. We're never going to get the culture back. We're never going to. It's like, that's what that's what we've been doing for forever. Like, yeah, and so, right. And so I don't understand how that's a relevant opinion because if you if you keep getting what you can get, then um, suddenly man, we, who knows what's next? It's like, going to be pedophilia next, and you're you're going to get what you can get. And miraculously, we just continue to slide left. Right, that's right. Yeah, it's like we a- just inevitable. continue to slide left. Like culture's yeah. just going left, and it's like, well, we just got to get what we can get. You know, let's just let's just take what we can get. And so I, I just really hate that way of looking at it. It's so, I mean, it's like what we were talking about earlier on the other mirror orthodoxy article. It's it's just a pragmatic way to look at it. It's taking no principled stance whatsoever. It's not actually fighting. And I mean, who's to say, by the way, that if you don't just hold off, that if you actually do just like stand your ground for a couple years in this current political environment, maybe you do get the numbers back. Right. I mean, look, yeah. Trump There's was a able lot to get Supreme Court justices in that overturned Roe v. Wade. Yeah. There's you could a- have never told somebody from 2010 that in a decade, Roe v. Wade would be overturned. You couldn't have convinced me of that. And I was in favor of it. I never thought that was going to be possible again. That seemed like, like he's saying, that seemed like settled. That seemed like Roe v. Wade seemed like a settled issue. Yeah. And yet it's not. Yeah. And I know that uh, I'm bringing research to the table late, but after last episode, I looked into the actual midterm numbers. A lot more people turned out to vote red than I thought they did. And it wouldn't shock me if stuff actually did change this next time around. I'm a little more optimistic about it, and it could be more changed. Things. I mean, it, if you took a more principled stance, it actually might come to fruition. Yeah, things change very quickly. And um, I think you're right. If we're going to play out a lot of different hypotheticals, why not at least consider the hypothetical that if people actually stood up for this and actually pushed back in an aggressive way, yes. that actual ground can be gained. That that. Who's to say that couldn't happen? It yeah, absolutely could You know, when happen. he says the politics of gay marriage in America is largely a settled issue, well, that's not what a progressive thought about the politics of Protestantism in 1980. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, they, they didn't just sit around and say, well, you know, the politics of, you know, Christianity, like this whole nation is just a Christian nation, so it's just a settled issue, so let's just take what we can get. Yeah, and no, the, they fought to change that. And the whole reason we're even there, the whole reason that's even a thought is because conservatives decades ago did the exact thing that he's arguing for now, yeah. which is, well, we'll just take a little bit at a time. And, you know, yeah, they're going to push their thing, but let's just grab onto a little bit. Well, now you're here where you are now, and that doesn't end. You get pushed off the cliff. That's it. That's right. And nobody likes that. Nobody likes the slippery slope argument whenever you bring that up. People hate that. Moderates, you know, people a couple steps to the left. Well, they should get over it because the last like 10 years have proven the slippery slope to be a real thing. It's a real thing. It's absolutely (laughs) true. And so when a conservative says something like, well, hey, if you do this, this this could probably going to lead to this. Oh, how dare you? We're not talking about that. And then five years later, they're talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. It happens. Yeah. I mean, and, and transgenderism is a perfect example. Yeah. 
Oh, they would, they would never give hormone drugs to 12-year-old that's kids. That's right. That's no, right. This is oh, for adults. Yeah. Come on. This oh, yeah. is for consenting people to adults. Obviously, we're not to talking about children. We're not going to have surgeries oh, yeah. on kids. No, oh, yeah. we would never. Or like animals. And then you get people dressed up as furries and all. It's all yeah. beastie. It's all bestiality. Yeah. And you go all the way back to what? You go all the way back to like what we talked about earlier, would it be Reagan? In my opinion, would be no-fault divorce is mm-hmm. one of the things you got to put in the timeline. That's right. That started this whole thing. No doubt. And what did Christians say at that time? You look it up, and they said, now, wait a minute now. If we start to say legally that a Christian can just divorce—anybody, sorry, can just divorce somebody just because they want to divorce them, this is going to lead to the destruction of the family. It's going to lead to a misunderstanding of what marriage is. Who knows what this could open it up to? Oh, no. Oh, that's not You gonna... fundamentalist, you're crazy. This is just a simple thing. This is protecting women that's right. who need oh, out yeah. of marriages, that this has nothing to do. Bunch of garbage. Yeah. And and then here we are. And so that's the that's the whole thing. We need to be thinking about a big picture here. We need to be thinking broadly about how ideas have their consequences over several generations. And once I think once the church starts thinking that way, and I think we're starting to do that because we're being forced to start to do that. Yeah. Then I think we can actually we can get somewhere in America, but we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I completely agree, and that's uh, the reason I wanted to talk about this. And I really felt like the the three kind of articles we talked about were kind of you know good different perspectives on this. And I, and I think that I really want to take what Matt Lee Anderson is taking like at face value, and I want to try to give him the benefit of the doubt as much as I can, you know, because I think he's a brother, and I think we should do that. Um, but you know, he, he is somebody who has a, um, you know, he's a supporter, he's a supporter of revoice. He, he tends to have more left wing uh, opinions on things. And so it seems to be kind of convenient to me that a sort of left leaning evangelical Christian is also arguing Try, you know, he's he's trying to take it from a religious liberty standpoint, but while doing so, a left-leaning Christian, while arguing for religious liberty, just happens to land on the same side as the godless pagan sexual deviants, mm-hmm. right? Like, so it's like, I think that if we are believers, and I know it's, I know it can be complicated and nuanced because we live among people who are not all believers, and we're trying to live in a liberal democracy, and so there's some. There's some confusion here, but I think that if we are consistently landing with our opinions on public policy on the same side as pagans, then maybe we should consider whether or not we're on the right side. Yeah, that's right. Right. Like, so, like, while he seems to be trying to make a good faith argument, right, like, as a Christian, I think this is a good thing for Christians, and here's why we should take what we can get while we can get it, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. It's just, it's just like... But that so happens to be also the side that his pals at Revoice would agree with, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. like, that's an issue for me. Mm-hmm. That's an issue for me. And I think that it truly goes back to what we were talking about, that that it there is no neutrality. Here's one question I'm trying to figure out is, why is it that that has been such a thought process for conservatives for so long? That is, that, oh, let's just take what we can get. Republicans are just Democrats around the speed limit. Why is that that way? You know, yeah. I mean, is it just cowardice? Is it just conservatives seeing this 
this big cultural shift. Oh, we're, you know, I, I mean, what is it? I think Why a, a is big that part so of it true? is because evangelicals for the longest time have thought that if I'm if I'm nice and people like me and I'm I'm friendly with everybody, they're going we'll to they're going to come to church. And we're going to get them that way. Mm, yeah. And that just doesn't work. It never has. And they've been they've been fighting from a place of the majority. Yeah. You know, it, it can feel like, you know, whenever you're whenever you're winning the game, like, you know, I coach basketball, so it's like when you're up 20, like this is one of the stresses of a coach, right? You're up 20 at halftime. The biggest thing you can get them to not do, like you don't want your team to do, is to relax, right? Because, but that's the natural tendency, Right, you're up 20. So then, you know, if you lose the third quarter by 10, that's not that big of a deal when you were up 20 because now you're, you know, well, we're still up, we're still up 10. We're still probably going to win. And it's like, but if you were if you were tied and you lost the third quarter by 10, it would feel like a really big loss. Yeah. And so the conservatives for so long in this country, especially, you know, specifically talking about like Christianity in this culture, yeah. like as the as sort of the moral majority of the nation has been from a position of being up 20 at halftime for so long that, you know, to give a little... And I guess that is the idea of uh, everybody talk about the silent majority, which that's that's not mentioned anymore. Right. <laughs> but uh, we can put that to bed. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a big talking point. And so, you For know sure. what? It's a good point. If you are convinced that there is a silent majority that's on your side, I guess you are going, oh, no, that'll get shut down. Oh, yeah. anyway. But it's still, it's still a cowardice because it's, we'll let somebody else put an end to that. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to speak out about it now or that's not really going to go anywhere. It's a mis uh um a misunderstanding of the enemy, I guess in some ways. Yeah, so it's that and I think the other thing I was going to say is that I think that it's that um for whatever reason and and I, this I don't necessarily know maybe why, but I'm just trying to explain what mm-hmm. I think they've done is that they've been um far too pragmatic. Yeah, for too long and not principled like the mm-hmm. left. The left is much more principled. Um, and so the, the right, um, well, even, even the issue of gay marriage, I mean, thanks to Trump is now part of the GOP platform, right? Like, I mean, Trump was, as far as I can remember, the first GOP president to be in favor of gay marriage. President. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't know of a, we, I mean, he's the first one. He's the first president. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you're you're probably going to have to be a Republican president and, and be, yes. And that is because he looked at it from a he he looked at it from a pragmatic standpoint, right? Is he saying this is already a settled issue? We're never going to win that, so let's try to win something else, and don't worry about that. You know, sort of hand wave that that away. And so they're just they're just too pragmatic, and you know it's because I think you know Republicans are made up of um, their power is in the boomers, right? I mean that's where their power is, and a lot of boomers I know are that way. They're very pragmatic and not necessarily principled. All right, let me ask this. Mm-hmm. Unintentionally, I think. If the idea here is uh, we want to take the principled stance instead of the pragmatic stance, why was the opinion earlier between two candidates the lesser of two evils instead of taking the principled stance? Like, well, uh, I was saying what that's what Truman says. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. Like, he, he seemed like, is his not a pragmatic stance? He's just saying that's what voting is. Okay, I thought that's. I thought he was saying that's how he approaches. No, it. he's saying voting. He's saying voting okay. has off is oftentimes viewed as a moral absolutism, but it's not. He's saying voting is the okay. messy business of choosing between two evils. Okay, yeah, that's all he was saying. He was saying if if you're going to get involved in the issue of politics and voting, you have to understand that that's what it is. 
it's not morally absolute. You're, you're not going to pick the right side. Okay. And this is the wrong side. It's like, no, 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 no. It is a, it is all screwed up with picking the lesser of two evils. That's all it is. Okay. Yeah, that's what he was saying. You know, so that was kind of his point was that like David French is almost, he's the other side of the coin to Jerry Falwell of moral absolutism. Man, the Falwells are getting a lot of play this episode. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. They really are. Coming up all over the place. You know, so, and I think, I do think, I do think Truman's exactly right about that. You know, and then, well, and, but I, I see the route that you're going, like with sort of the, uh, then why even vote kind of thing. But that's not exactly what I mean by pragmatism and principled stuff. Um, because, and th- this is a hard thing to say, and it's probably not even worth the conversation on this, uh, podcast, on this episode, because it's a hard, it's a hard thing to really kind of make clear but there's a difference between um being practical and being pragmatic i think okay pragmatic is specifically giving up a principle in order to win something like giving you know giving something up that like and acknowledging another side in order to in order to try to win whereas being practical is i would view that as being strategic or long-term visioned Mm about your principles. Mm. So you might still have to be practical about the way you handle Yeah, because the answer the is politics. The answer is not to never be practical. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. So you can't be principled and just consistently lose and say, "Well, hey, I'm proud that I lost with my principles." Right. That's that, not what that I'm talking about. That would be about. my view on the the third party vote or cetera, Right. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that's that's kind of that thing. It's like, "Well, you know, I, at least I voted for who I believed in." And I'm not even talking about voting. That's a different right. thing. I'm just talking about generally speaking. But in speaking, that situation, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, But there's a way, I think, to be practical, to be strategic, to be long-term. In, in other words, I think there's a way to support, um, I don't know, a candidate that you don't fully agree with on the principles as a part of your strategy to win long-term. But there's also a way to give up on your principles and pragmatically support a candidate just to win a short-term battle, like to strike some sort of revenge or something. Like that's what I mean by pragmatic. And oftentimes the Republicans have been that type of pragmatic and okay. not long-term, yeah, practical and strategic. Yeah, I see that. With their principles. So that's kind of, I don't know if I explained that clearly or not, but... Um, and it and it it is a very difficult thing because let's look at Trump for example. Well, what's a major fault of Trump? Probably the biggest fault of Trump, if you're thinking about it from a Christian standpoint, if you want a, you know, Christian political standpoint, which would be his support of of homosexuality, LGBTQ for for Trump and Trump posing and smiling in front of the the pride flag and all that. You know, him doing that in a very yeah, uh, a unique way that a Republican hadn't done before. That's a serious fault. On the other hand, the overturning of Roe v. Wade would not have happened if it weren't for Trump. Yeah. So the practical, you know, that kind of idea of the pragmatic side of revenge, well, let's just really stick it to the Democrats and let's just get a winner. I don't even care anything about him. Let's just get somebody who can embarrass the Democrat. Let's hire Hugh Freeze. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah let's hire Hugh Freeze. And, it's, and then it happens. it's like, well, you know, this is this is uh, I know what I think about all the the things about it, you know, like a hypothetical, like we were talking about. But it gets it gets tough sometimes because we can look back now about Trump and be like, well, he was really wrong about some stuff. But at the same time, yeah, we got Roe v. Wade. 
that whole situation. So it's just, you know, that would be a gaining of ground. Um, yeah, that did take place that would not have taken place otherwise. Yeah, but yeah. anyway. Well, and so different angles. I, I even could be more in favor of somebody sort of like the thought process of being stuck to their principles and voting third party than I can somebody who is like going to be pragmatic in the way of this Matt Lee Anderson, you know, like I can, even if we're going to lose, but you like voted for a third party and you were kind of principled, like I wouldn't necessarily do it that way, but I respect that more than I do this sort of like loser mentality of, well, let's just get what we can. Like that's already a settled issue. So why fight for it? Kind of thing. Like he's saying now, because like I said, the left doesn't view settled issues the way that the right seems to view settled issues. But again, again, without impugning this brother's motives, it, it's it's kind of convenient to me that he's like it, it's usually these type of you know quote unquote right wingers who really seem to be like lefties who are always the ones that are saying well you know that's a settled issue we might as well move on it's not really the it's not the real right wing people mm-hmm. that are saying this is a settled issue it's the people who are you know friendly with revoice people who are still trying to say no no I'm a Christian making an honest case for the passage of RFMA. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, let me look at who all your allegiances are. And it's like, oh, it's, oh, you, you actually just kind of maybe are a leftist. Mm-hmm. And conveniently, while trying to say that you're not a leftist, you just land on the side always of the leftists. Right. But for different reasons. <laughs> so mm. you're clean. It's like, no, yeah, no, no, no. It yeah. doesn't work like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is the definition of cowardice, which is, I would like to be thought of highly by both groups, yes. but deep down I favor one or the other. Let's see how I can do that. You're right. Most of the time this comes from a desire for a seat at the table. Yeah. Yeah. That is usually where that comes from, is is a seat at the table. You know, it's a, this is a really interesting case study to me, uh, just the generational divide. I feel like our generation of Christians are... Just in this room, through. you mean the generation no, 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 in this well, yeah, very room? Uh, that we are that we are sort of experiencing versus the boomer Christians, in uh, the way it's going to sound weird. Memes have sort of tied us together in various ways uh, that they never had. And, and I don't just mean memes, but I mean they've served as sort of an avenue for a common train of thought that they never got to experience because they didn't commu- they didn't have ways to communicate these things. And I constantly picture the guy just saying very calmly, yes. Yeah. And a lot of these arguments. And yeah. it's, it's been a weird sort of rallying cry in my own brain. Like, you know, if someone was like, so you're just telling me that you don't think gay people should be able to get married at all, right? Yes. Just very calm. That's what I'm saying, yes. Yes, correct. And I, I, th- I do that with so many things. And I feel like that's been our generation's response to a lot of this. Like, there's no shouting. There's no anger. It's just well, and, yes. and the reason is because we have seen the mm-hmm. end of the slippery slope. Yeah, so we're kind of like we're kind of done with this whole thing where the argument towards us will be. So you just mean that you think that this, 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 and it's like, well, yeah, because yeah. we've seen that you're not going to be happy there. That's right. It goes back to the Tolkien quote. I mean, the Tolkien quote you're is gonna, perfect. Yeah, the slope is for the slippery slope off the cliff. Wrong behavior. And he says in quote, I didn't read this earlier, but wrong behavior, if it is really wrong on universal principles, is progressive always. It never, and again, mm. he doesn't say evil always, right? He says progressive. And think about it. The progressives call themselves this, like they're happy 
that they're progressives, which That's means such a great moving point. forward. Yeah. Right. And evil is always moving forward. It's That's evil right. is never More. moving backwards. That's how sin works. That's right. It's you always let, you progressive. You let a little bit of a, a little sin in. And it's going to more sin, more and more. And so push pro- it. progressivism never stops at not being very, at being not very good or second best. It either reforms or goes on to third rate, bad and abominable. Yeah. So that's, that's the slippery slope. And we have seen it in a way that the boomers didn't, right? You know, and they're seeing it now, but they're all just know like it's too late for them to do anything. But to be fair to like the Christian boomers, they were the ones saying, you know, this 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 is a slippery slope early on. Like sure, they were arguing sure, for it. Absolutely. You know, they absolutely. were arguing for it. They were right about that. And, you know, and I was probably not really at the boomers, but, you know, I was one of the ones that didn't necessarily respect how much that boomers were trying to hold on to Christian culture, maybe in some cringe kind of ways. But where exactly how they were recognizing this was a problem was not correct, was not wrong. You know what I mean? Right, they were right. they were recognizing the problem. Now the way that they were going about it has obviously proven to not be good because they weren't able to hold on to anything and keep it and pass it on to the next generation. But they were right about identifying problems, and I think that's where we have to make sure that we don't fall into their trap. That we don't just sit around in our generation now and only do well at identifying drag queen story hours and all these things that are problems, right? And identifying that David French is a problem. We, we can't just identify problems. Boomers did that fine. What we have to do is we have to actually create the new culture that, like you were saying, Drew, earlier, which I think was great and inspirational and absolutely true, that thinking about this in 100-year increments is the key. We have to be thinking about, okay, this is the problem. Identify it correctly, just like our, our boomer parents did. That's great. Now, what did they not do? They were not prepared for the world, or they at least didn't prepare their children for the world that they needed to be prepared for. Mm-hmm. So we have to prepare our children for the for the world that they need to be prepared for. Yeah. And what does that look like? We have to make sure that our children understand that they need we want we need to raise them to despise the culture that they're growing up in. Right? That they need to they need to find their culture around them, the pop music, the stuff they see on their television, the stuff on the internet, the pornography, the rampant, you know, gender issues. They need to despise that stuff. And they need to know from an early age that it hates them. Yes, and they yeah. need to know. And so now the we need to create. And so not only identifying the problems, but we need to create the culture going forward that will actually create a, a solution for our grandchildren. And one thing I think that that has been messed up in Christian circles in previous generations about that, about recognizing the problems— they tried to offer solutions, but they were solutions rooted in, in immense fear and defeatism. You know, at least that's yes. that's sort of what I think about holding on. That's right. It's like, well, we've got to, you know, we've got to make. I don't know. I well, can't tell you because that. well, and honestly, their eschatology almost yeah. needed to celebrate the the decline of culture because the, the decline of culture meant the return of Christ. So there is a almost a sick way in which the boomers viewed. And you can't get both. Yeah, no, in the way in which the boomers viewed that, that they wanted Jesus to come back. And so, you know, culture needed to get, you know, in, in their eschatological view, that's only going to happen whenever things have gotten as bad as they're going to get. Right? right. And right. then Jesus will come back. So, like, in a way, they were like, well, they could look at the world like we're looking at now and go, well, man, all this is bad. But phew, the good news is that that means Jesus is coming back. 
Yeah. But with the with the with the correct eschatological view, then you can understand that no, 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 that doesn't mean that Jesus is coming back. That just means the culture's getting bad. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and, and so and, we don't need to celebrate that. And the better way to think is like what you're saying is not, oh well, Jesus come back, we get we get we all get to get out of here. Is rather Man, my children have to grow up in this. Right. My children have to raise their children in this. That's right. Oh, I got to start thinking about what I'm doing. I got to start thinking about what I'm teaching my kids, what I'm believing. Uh, you know, but that's the kind of way we got to be thinking. That's yeah, right. and there's also no real reason for them to want to fight when they think that that's the natural it, end. Exactly. We actually yeah. have a reason to fight. Exactly. Yeah, and I don't, I think... Another thing earlier about like the fear thing is I don't want my children to think, oh, mom and dad want me to stay away from this because they're terrified of what's going to happen if I do it. Like I don't like fear is a good motivator. I do believe that. Sure. But I don't I want them to have I want them to see a confidence in, in in Christianity, a confidence in the church. That actually wants well, them. Fear wants, is only you know, a good motivator if it's pushing you to something positive, right? Not exactly. just to run away from the mm-hmm. fear, yeah. Right? Like fear yeah. can't just be the motivator to stay away from something. Right. Fear, you know, to push you towards something is fine, is good, yeah. And that's what what wasn't happening, yeah. Because you think about a lot of these campaigns that we grew up with, you know. I mean, it could be something as simple as say no to drugs, right? Just say no to it. That's how. Well, what? What are we even talking about? I just say no. What's my you know, other option? It's just like everything is fear based. Yeah. It's fear based, and it's defeatism. what do I say yes to? Right, exactly. Nothing. What do I say yes if, to? If somebody's offering it to you, do? it's bad. Yeah, don't that's take right. it. What do I build with my life? What do I need to pursue? Those questions were never right really thought of very seriously, and there were a lot of people and you know, boomers and others who were. Um, Godly people, they got some things wrong, but they were godly. And Absolutely, it's, it's it's easy to be critical, but so we we understand all that. But um, but nonetheless, generations take on particular personalities based on the world that they live in, the things that they think, the way they raise their children, the way they grew up. So, anyway, these things are true. There, there's a reason that the stereotypes are true. That is, yes, yeah, but yeah. we should think about it. it. It doesn't matter how many times I hear the word boomer. It is just the perfect derogatory slur. It's just, I just love it. I don't, I don't think in all the ways that I've used it, I don't mean it derogatory, but I know what you mean. It comes off that way when you yeah. say it because of just the way that it's been used now. But I, to all the boomers out there listening, I truly only mean it as a, as a descriptor for your generation. Like it just is the name yeah. of your right. generation. I don't mean it. I, whenever I'm saying boomer, I really just mean that like, you know, I, I have a lot of affinity for boomers. I mean, like you're saying, Drew, I mean, you know, they were very godly people. Now, yeah. what they, and again, a lot of it is not, a lot of it is not their fault. Like the world changed fast that's without right. them that's realizing right. And it. And it's it hard to keep up with it. And I think about that. We can think about that with our own parents and grandparents of just, oh, shoot, that's on the internet now. You know, and yeah. it's like, yeah, that's been around for probably about a decade. I mean, you know, just that, think that about, type of thing is like, how can you blame them exactly on that? Yeah. And like, just think about the fact that like my wife and I were talking about this, that just, you know, the advice that I was given by boomers turned out to not be any good about like career, like what you need to do with your life. But from their worldview, it was absolutely the correct thing to do. They just had no idea that the world had changed. I mean, there are boomers who are, who are, who were lifetime factory workers that are upper middle class. Like, think about that. Yeah. Like they were, 
they worked at one textile mill for 35 years and they're probably they're retiring with a million dollars in the bank yeah because they had a pension and they had retirement benefits and they had great cheap health insurance and they got paid really well and their wife never worked and all they had to do was go to college to do that and then and you know just show up on time and do your job and all that stuff so that's what they told us to do mm-hmm. and they that advice from their perspective was not wrong it just right. was wrong because the world had totally changed yeah. and they didn't realize it. And to their credit, most of them now realize it was wrong. Yeah. But what they didn't do well, you know, was that they just did not actually fight to keep the world that they had inherited. Yeah. And so now we have inherited a world that has drastically gotten worse. And and again, I'm fine with any boomer that has a little bit of humility for like what has happened. You know, like mm-hmm. I just really didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't change. You know, we didn't know the world was going to change like this. But there are a lot of boomer, especially evangelicals out there. I've seen in this whole, like this this whole controversy with you know Christian right wing stuff that's been going on the last week that like are very uh, arrogant about needing the youngsters that are coming along to listen to them and respect their elders. You know all this kind of stuff, and it's like, well, guys, you know y'all y'all haven't y'all didn't protect the world like you should have, so. That's why we're even having to do anything at all. Uh, yeah. But again, you know that was a, that was a weird aside that we just took for no reason. But uh, it's true though, and the Bible makes clear that the sins of a particular generation affect the generation that they raise. That's just how it goes. Yeah. It's passed down that way. Um, I think also that we do sometimes talk past each other. Let's talk in the yeah. Christian circle, boomers, millennials. We do sometimes talk past each other because. Um, the boomers got some things wrong, but they don't want to admit that they're wrong. And it's easy for them to blame the generation under them. Yeah. Oh, you know, young people today are just whatever. It's like, okay, yeah, but you know, but you, 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 you kind of raise them. So <laughs> it's like, who does that say? Well, about, my, my son is a um, real piece of crap. Yeah. Like, and it's well, like, I mean, well, okay. You, you were his dad. Do so. you feel any responsibility <laughs> for that? I guess. Um, yeah. You guys think you just, everybody gets a trophy. Well, you're the one who gave us yeah, all those you, trophies. You, gave us the trophy. right. Dude, you made them. Yeah, that was that was yeah, you made them. thing. You wanted to do that. Uh, we were children. <laughs> what were we supposed to do? <laughs> Golly. So that that is that's obviously very frustrating. Yeah. And then at the same time, um, the fifth commandment is a real thing. Yes. Honor thy father and mother. And I believe, like a lot of reformed people, that that extends to authority in general, not just father and mother. I agree. And so there is a sense of, oh, you know, I should look at, I'm talking about Christians, I should look at Christian boomers and thank God for the good, but it's also completely appropriate for me to critique the bad. Yes. Understanding yes. that the generation after me is going to do the same to me. Yes. And that's just that's I think just in general works. in you know Christianity with brothers, it is perfectly fine to criticize as long as we are not criticizing motivation. I agree with that. Or completely. the spirit. You yeah, know, that's like, right. Yeah. And that's what we're that's what I'm doing with boomers. Like they were godly people, the ones that I it doesn't mean oh, but, sure. but we can talk about the mistakes they made while while saying like we're saying now that we don't think they did it with any malice. Right. Right. It's just this happened and it wasn't necessarily even their fault, but it happened. It's a reality. We should right. recognize where it went wrong so that we can fix it going forward. You know, even like we were talking about their views on on eschatology and how it affected the way that they viewed the decline of culture. That's not all their fault, but it is a reality of it. And they were godly people. Like they were genuinely, you know, they were anticipating the return of Christ. Like, and I think they were doing that genuinely. And so much of it was, yes. And so much of it was easy to do that because of um, a lot of the 
international turmoil that the world was going yeah. under with the wars and things of that nature, yeah. you know? And so they're either right around during that or their parents were or whatever. It's very close to home. And so now all of a sudden you elevate the passages about rumors of wars and things of that nature, yeah. you know? It right. just you just It just makes sense. I mean, I've heard people say before, man, you know, if I was growing up during the time of World War II, you know, I probably would be thinking the world is going to end. You yeah. know, if you don't know anything, yeah. You know, I mean, it's just like, good grief. My dad's, you know, talked about, you know, growing up in the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, like, yeah. I mean, he talks about, you know, being really young and just knowing enough, you know, because he was pretty young, like just knowing enough about, like, kind of what you hear, you know, adults talking about in the other room and, like, teachers saying in school and stuff to where, like, you know, he would be, like, laying out in the yard and kind of wondering, like, what if, an, what if a nuclear bomb? Wow, I felt you know like yeah. he could remember that, yeah, you know, and so like that's 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 a that real was a thing. real you know it's a real point, thing. you know, and news was just starting to be something that became more prevalent every day, you know, with like television and stuff. So you were getting the news a lot more often than you were, and so the world was starting to get smaller, you know. By Russia didn't seem as far away as it used to be anymore, you know, and so it would be easy to feel like the world is ending and. And again, we can kind of wrap it up with this, but like, that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing is I think that as we critique this, as we look at, you know, answers to the the Respect for Marriage Act and all this stuff and and the sort of the decline of, uh, or the, the end of uh, the influence of Boomer Christianity and a lot of, honestly, a lot of good that Boomer philanthropy and, you know, Christian influence has had in our society, but it is, it is waning quickly. It is going away. The world is changing fast. And so now we have to figure out how it is that we're going to answer the questions going forward. And I think that what you brought up earlier, Drew, is truly the way forward. We think in long-term increments. We think long-term about what we're trying to accomplish. We may ne- we may never even see the fruit of our labor, but we do it for our grandchildren. And That's we right. hope that we build a world that our grandchildren will inherit, that yet yeah, in 2160, it will be... Mm-hmm. It will be things will be right. Mm-hmm. It will get mm-hmm. corrected. It will get corrected. We will turn it around from this because yeah, it turned that quickly to where it is it now. Turned that quickly from something positive, so it can turn back the other way. Absolutely. Again, and we have to think that way. Think generationally. You know, the Bible, and I mean, this is probably not literal, but it gives us a good perspective. Maybe you know, the Bible talks about basically the earth lasting for a thousand generations, mm-hmm. and that's probably you know meta- metaphorical. But what if it was literal? <laughs> that's forty thousand years. Mm-hmm. We're at six thousand now. Yeah. It's potentially a lot left here. Yeah. You know, so let's just keep pushing. Yeah. Let's keep building. Let's keep working on things for our grandchildren and not view the decline of our culture as something to be celebrated because it signals the return of Christ. No. No. We are called in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission to disciple the nations so that all the world will come to Christ. And that's what we should be pushing towards. And we have to start by doing it in our own homes and in our own communities and start county before we go to country, before we go to world. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good final thought. Well, let's end it there then. All right. Thanks for joining us this week. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. We certainly enjoyed our time. If you get a chance, check out our Substack. We would love for you to subscribe. We'd love to get in a signal chat with some of you people so that uh, we could continue these conversations in a more informal way and hopefully grow the community a little bit. We just love to talk to some 
like-minded people more often as much as we could. So you can look at that. You can look that up at unedguestpod.substack.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you all in a couple weeks. Bye.